0: So today's podcast, I have a lovely person named Erin McGuire, and I met her in Atlantic City. She is, I think, best friends with the woman, Stephanie, who's playing me in the Machine movie. And Erin and I just hit it off right away. She's a lovely person, and she she has a podcast called Dear Pod that she has with a co-host named uh, Patty O'Brien, and they read old... Um, uh, articles or inquiries to Dear Abby and Ann Landers. They read what the person wrote in and they read uh, Ann Landers or, um, dear abby's response and then they kind of riff on that and it's kind of a jumping off place for a conversation. Really cool podcast. It's called again it's called Dear Pod. So, I just wanted to talk to Erin and it was a great conversation. We talked about Dear Pod, we talked about her stand up, her musical theater background, growing up in Boston, living in New York City, living in New York City in the pandemic, buying her dream house, which isn't maybe anybody else's dream house, but it's definitely hers. It sounds amazing I would love to see her dream house so I think it was a cool conversation she's a new friend this is the second time I've talked to her so um I don't know I think I think uh I think making new friends is is really is really awesome so I think I can call her a new friend so I hope you enjoy this conversation it's a long one but I enjoyed every minute of it. it went really fast which usually means it's a good talk so I hope you enjoy it too Thank you for showing up every week. We are working on our book club book. Um, Everybody's finished reading it. We're having a hard time scheduling. Everybody's back to school. One of us is going to Hawaii, but it's not me. And that person is just really screwing the pooch. No, not really. Um, My schedule all August has been crazy. And by the time my schedule opened up, she's going to Hawaii. So I think we're going to have two book clubs in September the August, which will be late, and the September, which will be later in September. Again, the book club book is called The Push. It's a really interesting book. I can't wait to talk about it. So if you haven't read it, you still have some time to read The Push because it's gonna be a week or so before we um, we discuss it. Thanks for coming back again every week. Thank you for all your emails and all your questions. I read every single email. I don't get to answer all of them, but I read every single one. So thank you very much for reaching out. Thank you for all the suggestions for book club books and episode ideas. Someone just suggested attachment theory as an episode idea. And I'm going to do an episode about attachment theory with Kristen and Jocelyn coming soon. So please always give me your suggestions. I definitely try to make them happen. Okay, well, I hope you enjoy this episode with, uh, with Aaron Maguire. Thanks again for coming. I wrote bicycle past your window last night. background. I'm good. Same to you. You look like you have like a tiki bar.
1: Uh that's cuz we built a tiki bar in <laughs> our basement.
0: <laughs> that is
1: America. That's that is, Jersey.
0: That's yeah. amazing. Is what that is? That's super fun. This is the Mahaa lounge is what we call it. The, so the, yes. The Mahaa. The Mahaa.
1: The Mahaa. It was a nickname given to our lounge by my aunt Jackie. So it's like a little Hawaiian themed tiki action, and uh, yeah, this is what happens when you have a pandemic, <laughs>
0: right? You that's commit true. to the drinking. <laughs> you commit fully to a tiki bar. Yep, <laughs> all out. Yes, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> we give
1: the best parties. I'm not going to lie, and I'm we're ready to host again.
0: I know, right? We are ready oh, to host man. again, too. We got a great backyard now. And I'm like, when can we have people over?
1: Lisa's How was Doris. the move?
0: It was intense. It was no yeah. joke. It was really super intense. And I'm still under construction. So, you know, it's, it was so much easier to not live here while we were under construction.
1: <laughs> oh, no, that's oh, I thought you were just going to stop right there. It's so much easier to just not live here.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. Period.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm sure because then you can just let all the chaos happen without you having to maneuver
0: around it. Yep. That you know. and, you know, 730 in the morning, someone's knocking on my door. Can I come in and adjust your toilet tank? Doot, 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 doot. Can I come and just look at the schluter? I don't even know what a <laughs> schluder is, but <laughs> is that on my body, the schluder? I'm not I sure. I think it's
1: actually an Ikea coffee table. <laughs>
0: It might be like might I, be. how
1: many times I've tried <laughs> to construct a schluter and it has gone sideways. I can't even tell you. I like that somebody will just knock on our door and ask to look at our toilet anyway. We're not doing construction, so
0: that's <laughs> perfect. Everybody's lonely, everybody's exactly.
1: Look, <laughs> like, please just let me look at your toilet. I want to look at somebody else's toilet just for like a half hour. I'm like, ah, oh, come on in, it's fine. fine. Welcome <laughs> to the ranch. Yeah, we uh actually we haven't done construction on this house. We bought, this is the best investment ever of my life because we bought this ranch house like three years ago before all the chaos of like, nobody can buy a house right now because the Rona has everybody trying to buy homes and real estate is bonkers. And, uh, it was built in 1960 and they did not touch it. Mm. So we have pink bathrooms. Mm. We have wallpaper on ceilings. Nice. And I was like, anybody else who walked in here would be like, we need to get rid of this. We need to change that construction. This. And I was like, I'm walking in and not changing a damn thing.
0: Right. It's yeah. awesome. Yeah, we kind of did the same thing although we did end up changing the stuff that I loved about the house only because we had to because yeah. of construction stuff. Um our house was built in 49 was last remodeled in 72. <gasps> oh my had, god. I had gold metallic wallpaper uh in in parts in what where was that? In my in my foyer hallway. Yes. Was gold metallic with red that had these like geometric designs on it and the draperies matched. Exactly. Oh, uh, I would not have changed a thing. It was amazing. And then the dining room had a um, rose gold mauve yes. and chocolate metallic. <laughs> ah. <gasps> Wallpaper. <laughs> and God, it I was, love the 70s. It was amazing, actually. She left me her sofa from the 70s. It's a like perfect semicircle. You could probably seat 75 people on it. It's so big. Oh, my big. God. I still have it in my living room, but it's so it's so wrong for the scale of the room it was in. It really should uh-huh. be like in like an airport. It's so huge. So oh. I, I've been trying to rework it and it's just not working. But the house, I mean, when, when we bought this house, it was like a feeding frenzy. You know, everybody wanted every house in yep. LA and Blood this in the house, water. Yes, exactly. So this house, I was like, a developer is going to buy this house and tear it down. And they can't do that. I'm, They can't do that. There's just so many great things about this house. So I wrote the owner a letter and was like, I love your wallpaper. I love your sofa. I love your full-size statue of Hercules in the backyard. I love your 10-foot-tall iron Don Quixote statue in your backyard. I love all the trees. Um, My kids are getting married here. I'm going to have my grandkids here. Please let me buy this house. And she sold it to me because of my letter. She had like... Yeah, so I was like... I, I didn't tear down really any walls, but mm. the the ceilings were eight feet and Bert's like six two. And he was like, I feel like I'm in the Hobbit house. Like, oh, I it's need a bit a, tight. I need, yeah. a, like a, I need a bigger ceiling. So when we started raising the ceiling, it ruined all the wallpaper. So oh, God. I, I was super bombed because there was this one bathroom where I was it. She had, um, I don't even, it's an Asian print wallpaper that was mm-hmm. blood red. Yes. And then it had yellows and blues and whites. And it was an, an Asian print. It was beautiful. And I died when they took that out. I was so bombed. But uh, I couldn't save it because of the ceiling height. So what you're saying mm. is that you lied to her. I did. I lied to her. You And if she comes back, talk about blood in the water. Well, I did replace wallpaper. Okay. In okay. In the same kind of vein. Not the metallic. But I have like wallpaper with like big cranes, and it's Asian in that same room. So I tried to kind of you kept make it the happen.
1: spirit of the thing, I did, I did, I but did. you had to update. I understand I did, I did, it has did, to be done, but I am a sucker for uh, a timepiece like that. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. That's why I was like, I walked into the house and I had the same reaction that I said, no one else can have this place because. <laughs> They won't know what to do. And thank God I didn't have to like fall on my knees and beg this woman because of the time of when we got it. Mm-hmm. But I walked in and I was like, this is my grandmother's house. This is Kitty LaRue's house. That was my grandmother's name. Kitty
0: LaRue. Oh, my God. What a great name.
1: I know. Right. I was like, she could be a stripper or she could just be a Boston housewife. I and think that's burlesque. Really she-
0: I think burlesque really back in those days. It would be. Yeah. Yeah. Right. She'd yeah. take
1: off a glove and be like, You like that, boys? <laughs> Kitty LaRue.
0: <laughs> be behind the fan,
1: <laughs> Kitty LaRue. I, uh, I've done a couple audiobooks and I've done Harlequin romance novels, and they ask you if you want to work under an alias when you do Harlequin. And <laughs> I used my grandmother's name. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> I was like, So if you look up Audible, you're going to find Kitty LaRue. And after the first one, I was like, Then they kept using me, and I was like, Maybe I shouldn't talk trash. In the name of my grandmother. Right. So I came up with a new alias after that. But I was like, Kitty LaRue is so good. It's
0: perfect. She could have been a newspaper woman. Like, it seems like it's in the Philadelphia story. Kitty LaRue here reporting from Philadelphia. Absolutely. She's a no guff gal. See,
1: (laughs) I'm Kitty LaRue and I'm reporting live on the scene about our boys overseas, you know? (laughs)
0: exactly. Your voice is so great. That's so funny. I was listening to your podcast, Dear Pod. Um, oh, yes. I was listening to it yesterday and I thought <laughs> if she's not a voice actor, she's crazy. You've got to be a voice actor, right? I, I don't get enough of it. It's a bummer of a thing because I just feel like I'm never
1: doing enough for it. Like I just I i, I would love to do more mm-hmm. is the long and the short of it. I've done Uh, some stuff for Audible. I've done the audio books and they've only ever (laughs) used me for trash talking. (laughs) I was like, what do you guys see in me? And and to like, just talk smack and smut, but God, I want to do so much more of it. I mean that, yeah, my voice is, I do a thing in my act about the fact that I'm from Boston, but whenever anyone asks me where I'm from, I just say the 1940s. (laughs) <laughs> because I don't know why I sound like this. And i have always like, I'm a girl Friday, you know? So it's weird. And I've had a voice like this, this exact voice, this exact um, accent since I was a kid. And everybody in my family has a heavy Boston accent. And it sounds like I'm part of the Wahlbergs. And then there's like this little fifth grader in the middle being like, get me a martini and make it dry, you know? <laughs>
0: why do you think that is well you sound kind of like your mom but for those we should start this you have a podcast (laughs) called dear pod please explain your podcast so everybody listening knows what we're talking about
1: uh me and my friend patty o'brien another irish uh guy uh, we we actually read the advice articles of ann landers and dear abby to each other so we just pick a theme every week and we find articles based on the theme and we unearth these old advice columns that are so ridiculous and over the top and when you see what people are writing in about it's like laughable and you see how their advice is so it's it can be ridiculous and over the top and really brusque and that's i think what drew us to it to begin with is the fact that Ann Landers did not hold your hand
0: <laughs> no she and did when, not
1: like our first episode our pilot episode where We each drank a bottle of wine, which now we've learned we should never, ever do again. But we were we were like drinking and and podcasting. It's our first time ever doing this. And I started to read all of these old Ann Landers columns. And I was like, my God, she went for the jugular. She like people would write to her for advice. And she'd be like, listen, you stupid son of a bitch. Here's what you're going to want to do. And She was so abrupt that I came up with this. Character of Ann Landers, so when we read the articles, he sort of has developed a character of Dear Abby, and I've developed Ann Landers. And to to go back and sort of read what the dynamic of their actual relationship was, because you know they were sisters, they were twins, they were competitors, and we just got really kind of drawn in by their story too. Yeah, we take our our like pop culture and our our current sensibilities and apply it to ann landers and dear abby so basically it's like we'll talk about whatever the theme is and it will launch a whole conversation going left right and center
0: i think it's a great idea i enjoyed it i watched i watched dick beach Ah! (laughs) it's really good (laughs) very fun it was a good episode a lot of cursing (laughs) fuck you in the beginning. Oh my God. Yeah. We
1: can really <laughs> let it rip sometimes. It depends on the mood, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We can be raunchy with each other. And my <laughs> husband, Jim, who you met, he he's the producer of it. So yep. he puts all the bits and pieces together and he sort of spins gold out of our two hours of ranting and keeps us on track because, you know, we we love our tangents,
0: you know, don't we all? But I wish yeah. I wish that he were mic'd because you talked to him during the episode I listened to and I couldn't hear what he said. And then you answered him and I went, but I don't know what he said. Oh, you know, it's like a device that we've sort of come up with where like we don't allow him
1: It's so, like part of the joke is that he's always in a cage somewhere off screen. And so we don't actually give him the voice. We, you hear that he's back there, but it's like, you silly man. I don't know. It's just sort of something that's developed over the course of the two years we've been doing. It. I can't believe we've been doing it for two years. It's wild. That's
0: great. That's great. It was really yeah. fun to listen to. And I love that you're calling your mother for the weather, the moth report. <laughs> <laughs> I was dying because your mother is a stitch. She's hysterical. <laughs> yes, I know. I know. It's so good because with her, we don't have
1: to cue her to do anything. You just give her a little bit of a moment and she'll open up her mouth and say something hysterical.
0: Yeah, she's pretty awesome. I could just yeah. listen to you talk to her all day. <laughs> I mean, not that what you were doing was not awesome, it was, but your mom I, I was like this is, I feel like I'm I feel like I want to be with her. Yes your mom. She you is know? a
1: fan favorite. People love it because she doesn't know what she, she's not trying to be funny no ever no she's just being honest and she's that's being yourself, right so go- exactly yeah and that's always the way it's been it's like i come from a family of funny people who have no idea they're being funny
0: right i have the same, and they
1: just made funny people who try to now put that on stage you know right 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 but she's a riot
0: yeah she's a hoot i really enjoyed that and i enjoyed your what uh i enjoyed um your co-host too it was all really fun so i highly recommend if anybody is looking for oh, a good entertaining you. podcast your podcast is really fun <laughs> and then i love the idea that you find a theme and like this theme was about second marriages and that you are in a second marriage and then yeah. all your advice columns that you read were about second marriages some of which were ridiculous like the yeah. the. could you believe the wives who were upset that the 13 year old stepdaughter wanted braces i was like what what's it, happening it, it, <sighs> It's astonishing, and they they write to these women, thinking,
1: "Be on my side." It even says it in some of the articles. It's like, "Back me up, Anne." Right. I'm a second wife, but his kid should go scratch. And you're like, <laughs> "Well, oh, 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 this is okay." It's it's fascinating what people would write in a, and look for genuine advice on. And what's cool about what's developed in the two years that we've been doing this is is that it's like a, a raucous good time. That's what we want our podcast to be is we want you to be laughing. We want it like we, we really, really take things seriously, but in the moments when we have certain topics, the penny will drop and things will get serious. So it was like during uh, June, we did a pride episode and Patty talked about what it was to come out to his mother. Mm. And it was like, tears were just rolling. I mean, wow. yeah, it's, 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 fun. I mean, like we have a lot of cool peaks and valleys and ups and downs within the run of this whole podcast for the last two years.
0: It's been it's f- cool. It's very cool. That's very, very Thank cool. You. And You know, Thank p- you. the cool thing about podcasting is it can be whatever fulfills you. Yeah. And, you know, if it's fun for you and it's fulfilling for you, most likely it'll be fulfilling for the person listening because you're having a good time. Um, exactly. So it's it's not that complicated. It's pretty, pretty easy. Yeah, no, people like it because they feel
1: like they're a fly on the wall and they feel like they're dipping into some friends who are like your raunchiest, weirdest friends conversation. And you just sort of get to to sit and be like a passive person in this this back and forth, which I love it. I mean, I didn't think I would love podcasting as much as I did. And everything sort of happened accidentally. And What do you mean? Even how the concept came up. Originally, I was going to do a podcast that was about interviewing people for ridiculous jobs that they do (laughs) because I'm obsessed with people who do strange things. And Patty does strange things. He is a house manager for a very wealthy family. So basically, he's like Carson from Downton Abbey. Wow. And it's like, Who does that in this day and age? And the stories he would tell me and the pictures he would send me. And we were friends before, but we weren't like tight, tight friends before. So I had started talking to him about wanting to interview him for this different idea. And then it just sort of naturally warped into this. What if we did a podcast together? And then what would that be like? And You know, we're such pop culture junkies, but specifically for like the 80s. We we love talking about the eight. We could do it all day long, but there's too much of that. I feel like we're, that's a bit oversaturated. Mm-hmm. You know, pop culture podcasts purely are a bit oversaturated. So we were just, it, it all sort of happened accidentally over drinks and talking and having a good time. And and we've latched on to what our themes are now and like our, our segments. Mm-hmm. I like a podcast that has those like, Okay, now we're doing this. We're calling my mother. We're doing a specialty cocktail every week. We take Instagram mail and we try to answer questions like Ann Landers and Dear Abby would do it. You know, Mm -hmm. we we just sort of developed a structure as we went along. We were stumbling forward, basically.
0: Sure. Yeah. But but that's cool. That's a great way to figure it out. And I think listeners actually enjoy uh, the process. You know, they enjoy they feel like they have some ownership if they've been along for the process. Yeah, exactly. It's it's a very cool community. You know, I talk a lot about how we have no community or very little community anymore because people, you know, Mm -hmm. grow up and leave. Uh, Back in the day when Kitty LaRue was around, they would grow up. Back in her day. And stay. They grow up and get married (laughs) and stay. And then these kids would grow up and get married and stay. And then our generation started leaving. And you know, yeah. so we left our college, we left our community center, we left our hometown high school that three generations had graduated from, blah blah blah, whatever. And now yeah. there's this lack of community, but I think podcasting has been a, a an avenue for people to find community. I wish yeah. people could be together like physically, but it is kind of cool to To be a part of a community and to have people reach out to you and say, you know, I agree with this. I don't agree with that. It's very kind of refreshing. I think podcasting is an amazing um, and very fulfilling art form. Um, Yeah, because you never know who's listening
1: and where they're listening from. And, you know, we'll get. Mail from people like we found out. You know, when you look at your downloads, it's like, oh my god, there's somebody in France who loves us. There's somebody <laughs> in Spain, and you're like, I don't know what they hear. I'm assuming that they're they're just listening to like the Muppet Show. <laughs> but it's it's wild how it can connect you with other people, and that when you think no one is listening, someone will come out of nowhere and say, oh my god, I just heard this, and this made me laugh so hard it made me almost drive off the road, and We've gotten things like that, especially Patty's like people have come out of his past that are just so bizarre, like people he went to elementary school with. And, you know, one of my Patreon subscribers is a girl who went to elementary school with me, who I didn't know that well. And she writes in all the time like, oh, my God, this killed me and this cracked me up. And there's something, especially in the comedy world, that's so cool that you can make someone laugh from that far away. And that to the point where they feel like they have to connect with you and tell you what made them laugh.
0: Right. Because you are a stand-up by trade, right? Yes. Yes, I am. And, and it's, again, you
1: can use the stuff that you find in your podcast as a jumping board for the stage. I've done some, we've done bits where I'm like, Oh God, I got to make this transition from, from podcast to stand up. And, And also by the same respect, there's things you can get away with in podcasts that won't really necessarily work on the stage, but are still hilarious.
0: Right, right. So,
1: I mean, it all interconnects. And again, during the pandemic, it was like, this was our outlet.
0: Totally. So do you have anything in your stand-up act about your voice? Uh,
1: Just the, well, I've
0: done something
1: about uh, reading Harlequin romance novels and like what that is and how competitive it is. So I've decided to add my own sound effects, like a Foley artist, you know, and be like, he entered her. (laughs) She came with a thundering crash. Oh, my God. (laughs) That's hysterical. And uh, yeah, just the thing about the fact that I am from Boston and it's so fish out of water. The fact that I have always sounded like this and nobody else in my family does. And And the fact that this voice is the voice, like what, pretty much what you're hearing right now is what I sounded like when I was a kid. Like what kid has a voice this deep?
0: Yeah, right. And
1: like, and I was like, I was the only fifth grader who made my own bathtub gin. (laughs) And I always thought I never had a trace of an accent, but my family uncovered an old video of me playing Annie in seventh grade. And I was huge. I was the world's tallest Annie. (laughs) And I did have a bit of a Boston accent in that. I'm a bruiser. I have to send you the clip of it when we get off of this. It's so funny that I just come out and I'm like, it's all right, Annie. Molly's here. (laughs) That's hysterical. I was like Matt Damon playing Annie.
0: Oh, that's so funny. How funny. I always
1: thought I never did, but I guess I did have an accent. Well, maybe my Annie had an accent.
0: Maybe maybe that was your character choice. Could that was my choice. choice. Yes,
1: yes. You And I was huge too. I was just so much bigger than Daddy Warbucks.
0: Oh my god. That's hysterical. <laughs> so, you, have you always been have you always did you always want to be in entertainment? Did you do anything before you were a comic?
1: Um, well, I've always been an actor. Okay. And I always wanted to be one and I and a singer, especially when I was a kid. And you know, I, I, it's funny cuz I had OCD, crazy OCD as a kid. Like, welcome to every comedian. And but one of my things was that I was like a re- a repeater. You know, it was like a hand washer and repeater. So it's like if you have certain OCD, it's like I have to touch this seven times. Mm-hmm. Well, for some reason, one of my OCDs was linked around SNL. So I would get up every morning and I would have to watch old VHS tapes of SNL episodes before I went to school, or I would not feel okay oh my gosh so isn't that weird i was like so fifth grade you know obsessively watching snl and then i would go to school and entertain all the kids at recess with characters and i would make up character voices i kept a box of index cards with each of my characters and character descriptions on them like that is me i um, am i always feel like still to this day I want to be on SNL because that's where I live. So I was like a sketch comic and an improv comic in Boston at the same time doing musical theater growing up. So I was doing a lot of everything. And I've always kind of done that and went to school for musical theater, graduated, moved to New York, couldn't get arrested in musical theater because I don't know, I just it wasn't working. So I started doing sketch again. And I, had, I was with a troupe that was doing really well. We were in, uh, it was a New York comedy festival, but at the time it was called the Toyota Comedy Festival. Oh. And we had a regular gig after Rachel Dratch and Tina Fey's show called Dratch and Fey and after Bruce Valanche too. It was like, so I've always been in this comedy world, but in different arenas. And then I started working in musical theater That kind of became the bread and butter for a while. And then I got to a point where I felt like I constantly had one foot in either area and neither was getting the full attention. Mm -hmm. So I finally was like, what's the hybrid of kind of all of these things? And it was stand up. Mm -hmm. So now I have really put all my focus into how do I take everything in my grab bag? and put it into this solo performance. I was always scared of doing solo performance when I was doing sketch and improv. I never thought that I could do that on my own. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really like it. I was like, I like playing with other people. And I found a way to make that work in standup now. So now I'm sort of like, there's a little bit of, there's a little, like, there's a touch of a lot of things in my standup. I actually have been incorporating singing as like a closer. Just because of one specific bit that I have come up with. But for the most part, you'll see like a lot of act outs. Right, right. And uh, but the biggest learning curve in stand up is learning how to be authentic and not theatrical.
0: Right. You yes. know. Yes, I do. I know exactly. And what be you
1: real, mean. be funny, but be real and be honest about the bit that you're developing. So
0: yes, yeah. because people who go to see st- Stand up. I think want to see um, a relatable person, like a human being that they can relate to. That they yeah. it's either them or it's their spouse or that's their sister in law or their mom. And if you get I think there was a, a time when some sort of alt comedy that was kind of sketchy was really working in stand up. But I don't know if it's working right now in this time. You know, everything ebbs mm-hmm. and flows in every industry. You know, superhero movies are the thing now. And 10 years from now, it'll be all romance or, you know, just kind of everything. I don't know about romance, but everything ebbs and flows was my point. Yeah, but and but Fast
1: and Furious will still be making movies.
0: ever. <laughs> And so will yeah. Star Wars. I mean, until the end of yeah, time. Uh, yeah. But um, but yeah, I think stand-up is, is a, an interesting gig because you have to figure out what part of yourself you want to share with the world, you know? Yes. because And
1: what to strip away and like what works and what doesn't. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, one of my faves is Brian Regan mm-hmm. because I feel like he finds a way to bridge that gap. Mm-hmm and and some of the things he talks about are so ridiculous and that's kind of where i am. Right. I'm a bit more absurd.
0: <laughs> absurd but is like
1: fun. honest in the absurdity of like how to find my way in. It's like i started talking about the board game operation as linked to my anxiety. So i'm still telling you i'm an anxious nervous person, but i'll tell you I blame the board game
0: operation because <laughs> you got shocked one too many times. <laughs> yeah. Like what kid
1: is operating on somebody and gets electrocuted? That's horrible.
0: It is a horrible concept for a board game. You're right. There's- everybody
1: in the 80s. It's like all of our toys were trying to kill us.
0: Yes, right? It's very true. There's so many, so many. Yeah, that's very true. I hadn't thought about that. Operation was nerve wracking.
1: Nerve wracking. Yeah. I mean, you were eight and you're operating on a guy whose eyes are open.
0: (laughs) And he has a red nose light bulb. I know. I was like, he looks like all my uncles,
1: you know, he was like stark white. He had 15 things wrong with him. It would have been way better if you like
0: operated on cirrhosis of the liver.
1: Heart disease.
0: (laughs) It's sciatic. It's accessible.
1: Hemorrhoids. Oh, God.
0: Exactly. That would have been way better.
1: Exactly. Here's a me.
0: Perfect. I want that one.
1: <laughs> but as a kid, you're like, stay perfectly still and I'll remove your bread basket.
0: And what the hell is a bread basket? And anyway. it was on his crotch, too. It's like, it come is. on. And it's a slice of bread. So there's no anatomical. <laughs> there's no learning here. It was a slice of bread. You know why? I always wanted that because you could get the tweezers between the, the crease thing, and the, the bread. Crack. Yes. And you could get it right in there and get it out without buzzing. Yeah.
1: Bread basket was easy. It had a strategy. It strategy. It was straightforward. It was. But like as a kid, you grow up thinking, oh, my God, I'm going to have to get my bread basket removed. <laughs>
0: <laughs> At some point. Yeah. And my funny bone. The funny bone is like for sure. Remember the funny bone up here? Oh, yeah. 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 Yep. That was one
1: of the easier ones to get. Writer's cramp was yes. the reason I, I need Lexapro. <laughs> that alone. How many times did I electrocute myself trying to remove
0: that damn writer's cramp? It was the rolly pencil. It just kept rolling and rolling and rolling and rolling. I right. And I was That's so stupid. like, I just didn't have a steady hand either. And I have a pair of
1: tweezers. And I'm like, if I hit the sides of this thing, I'm going to get zapped. <laughs> and I. Ugh, like what a nerve wracking thing that of the game perfection it was like if you don't get this <sighs> right it literally blows up in your face
0: it does i love that and game we, i love that I game know. <laughs> you know what's really funny now i have kids that are 17 and 15 and of course when they were younger i bought them operation they yeah. played once they got electrocuted and they were like this is dumb and <gasps> i thought are you kidding me oh <gasps> I love this game. It was so stressful. <laughs> and you thrive on that adrenaline and stress. And they literally went, ma, 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 ma. I don't get it. I'm like, oh, my God. Same. Kids today don't
1: appreciate a nerve-wracking game that can wreck your, your brain.
0: Totally. Maybe their brains are already <laughs> wrecked.
1: See, that's the thing about video games. They've yeah. already done the job. That's why I was like, you guys, video games aren't violent. We operated on an, a live man.
0: Oh, totally. And our video game was getting a frog across the street without him getting run over. It was oh not God. like Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> no, <laughs> you know,
1: but the stakes were just as high for just me. High.
0: Oh, Frogger? I was dying. <laughs> I thought I was going to die if a Frogger was, I, killed me. You're responsible
1: for for killing an animal. Yeah. I, I, I can't take that. But if you combine Frogger with Grand Theft Auto, I'm just saying <laughs> there's a good opportunity, Hasbro. <laughs> Jump on
0: it. If you just have the joystick with the button, how do you get through Grand <laughs> Theft Auto with just a de- 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 yes?
1: Like you yep. should have your hands tied behind your back like that. You need a limited
0: joystick. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Oh man. So you do audiobooks. You read read audiobooks. That's so cool. I love to listen to audiobooks. Well
1: download my uh, you can download my smut on Audible. Uh, one yes. book was Kitty LaRue, but that was like my very first audio book. And, uh, the rest was, what's my fake name? I haven't done it in so long. Ellery James. That's my fake name. Ellery James. Is that E-E-L-L-E-R-Y? E-E- yes. Uh, yeah. E-L-L-O-R-Y. It oh. was the name of a street near my old <laughs> house. Ellery
0: James.
1: Ellery that's James. brilliant. And Kitty LaRue. That's my sexiness. Yeah. I did one of them with a cold too. And it's funny. If you hear it, it was terrorist porn. It was completely bizarre.
0: Hold on. Terrorist porn. What is yes. Ter- what does that mean? It was
1: a porn, a Harlequin romance novel that took place in like war torn Afghanistan.
0: <laughs> oh, my God.
1: <laughs> Been there, And I'm sick, too. And you can hear it. It was like, oh, uh, oh, please stick it in my ear. And the stuff that you would say was so ridiculous. And people usually, you know, people who are are smarter than me, read the book before they actually narrate the thing. How funny. But I would do it in real time. So I was reading the book and uncovering everything as it was happening. And, oh, my God, some of the stuff. And, like... The punctuation doesn't even exist. Nobody gives a shit. <laughs> Anybody can write a Harlequin romance novel and nobody needs an editor.
0: Well, I bet you the readers of Harlequin no- romance novels aren't interested in grammar.
1: No, they're not looking for the Oxford comma.
0: No, they're looking for the boobie. Unless it's
1: in someone's pants. Yeah. Yeah,
0: exactly. 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 You know, I have this cousin who's actually my dad's cousin, she's older. And when we were in Georgia this summer, we uh, she came to visit us at our lake house, and she had uh, she was always a very avid reader. She was a, a social worker and a school teacher. Uh, mm-hmm. She kind of went between the two. She always worked at like. Um, you know, homes for troubled children as a social worker and school teacher and always taught English. And so she was always the person if I wanted to read some classic novel, I would say, what should I be reading? Oh, you need to read Thomas Hardy. Here's the three books you need to read from Thomas Hardy. This is who you need to read of Bronte. And she was always Mm -hmm. that person for me when she was at the lake. I was like, so, Laura, what are you reading now? She was like, oh, romance novels really get a bad rap. (laughs) (laughs) And I went, really? She goes, oh, I have discovered a whole new world. I will have to send you the authors and the titles of some of my favorites. It is amazing. She was like, smut can be so well written. And I'm like, oh, my God. She was literally my source for every piece of fine literature I've ever read. I was so shocked.
1: Well, so- I mean, Lawrence of Herlabia, very fine <laughs> literature <laughs> happening over there. That's deal. Yeah,
0: Lawrence of Herlabia. Is that a real <laughs> book or did you just make that? Oh,
1: up? no, I'm sure it is, though. It has to be. <laughs> it has to be out there. No, I re- I only remember one title. Running the Red Light was one of mine. Oh, my God. Because it was like a series. And I thought, oh, I booked a series, like three books. So I really get to see these characters not develop. <laughs> you know,
0: they don't same. give it.
1: Exactly. Like she's, she was trashy in the first one. She's trashy <laughs> in the third. And the best is that you get reviewed on them on Amazon. You haven't lived till you've had your voice reviewed for saying, dirty crap into a microphone.
0: And what would these reviews Amazon. what would they say? These reviews.
1: Um I only got a couple. I got one bad review from somebody being like she just doesn't get the characters and I'm like, "Really? <laughs> this is what you're doing with your day?" But then some of them were like, "Yeah, she really uh, like they really review the book and they review the narrator separately. And I, I got to go and check. I only got like a handful of reviews, but I would hope that, especially after this podcast, everybody goes and downloads my app. Right? I want to see. I've never listened to them, believe it or not. No? No, I just kind of did them. And then I was like, because I read them, I was like, oh, I know how this ends.
0: <laughs> not like no it's a big
1: cliffhanger, but, you know, definitely. Tell, is it your cousin, Laura? Yeah. Was that her name? Yeah. Yeah. yeah tell her. Tell her, you know,
0: I'm running the red light. I'm going to run in the red light. Maybe she'll enjoy
1: that. The red light. Um, I think and the that... character's name is Roxanne. I don't I don't oh, remember much. It's been a minute. But yeah, I was always wondered who the demographic was. And I, I asked someone at Audible and they said truck drivers. Interesting. Truck drivers will download Harlequin romance novels and listen to them on overnight drops and things like that. I was like, well, I feel safer.
0: truck drivers are on
1: the road listening to smut
0: oh my god that is also a big uh demographic for podcasts is truck drivers exactly
1: we give something to everybody i would love to know that truck drivers are listening to dear pod while they're like (laughs) doing a walmart overnight delivery you know
0: (laughs) well it's very energetic so maybe maybe it keeps them awake yes yes you guys are full of energy um, Ooh. so what is your favorite musical?
1: Musical. Oh, Hedwig, Hedwig and the Angry Inch.
0: I've never, you seen know it. it? No,
1: <gasps> it's a rock musical because it. I love it because it's not a musical in a way. It's more of a rock show. That was my thing in musical theater that I was like, this is I get what music theater is like based in artifice. But it started to get to a point where I was like, this is a little too cheesy. Some of them for yeah. me. Yeah. And that and Who's Tommy were like rock musicals that had edge to them. You know, everything was a little bit. I like things that have edge and bite. And, and oh, I highly recommend Hedwig. They made it into a movie. I remember
0: the movie. I've never seen it, though. I remember John
1: Cameron Mitchell. He's awesome. That guy, there's nothing he can't do. He started in music theater and then he developed this character. I also liked how like the story, the backstory of how that musical came about. So you know, what's the was backstory? Like, Tell me. It was an accidental meeting of the minds when he was flying from L.A. to New York or reverse. And um, that he got seated next to a guy who was the lead singer of a band. And then they just started talking because he was like based on like he was holding a book in his lap and they just started chatting. And it became a friendship that developed into them creating a musical which became like a juggernaut success, which was so, you know, gritty. And the the concept of it was so ahead of its time, you know, about a guy who gets a sex change and moves to America. It's like never what you would think would be the topic of a musical. Right. And it's so successful and it's so good. And it ended up getting a run off Broadway and Jane Street. And then it was just, it just became a big success. And it launched his career. So
0: that's I just crazy. Love it. I can't recommend it enough. That's a great story.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. It's so
0: it's so it sounds like your story of Dear Pod, right? I was just <laughs> going to interview him about something, and then all of a sudden, two years later, we were, were in launched the, into success.
1: And then launched. they asked us to make a movie of Dear Pod, and I'm I was sorry. like, I'm available. Uh, Talk <laughs> to
0: my people. Let me check my calendar. Yep, I'll see what I can. Yeah, let me check my. It's completely empty. Let's do this. <laughs> Oh, the the pandemic. I bet that's been really hard. No, have have you been able to do much stand-up? Weirdly,
1: yes. Oh, good. Yeah. I mean, I spent last summer doing shows in Central Park. We were, you know, well, it's like Jurassic Park. Life finds a way. <laughs> and we were all out there and everything was distance and completely bizarre, but we were still sort of like pushing along. Mm-hmm you know, you're not getting paid a lot to do the spots, but it was more about like, keep yourself going. Mm-hmm. And I loved it. I liked At first I didn't. Cause I was like women just screaming in a park. What is going on? And then, you know, I said, I love central park. Cause it's the one place you can see people doing meth and Tai Chi. Totally. And you're in the middle of it all doing stand up, And, but it was like this great equalizer because you're around people who, Oh, you have a Netflix special. Oh, You've done late night five times. Oh, you know, you have this successful TV show. And yet we're all in Central Park screaming right now Mm -hmm. and doing our bits together. So it became a fun community thing. Talk about community. And there really is a community in New York. But that was wild for those of us who were here and stayed here throughout we were in the park doing stand up the whole time, and then outdoor shows, which was fascinating. It's like I did a show at a drive-in.
0: Didn't Bert do that? He did like a drive-in. Yeah, tour. He, ca- he actually created that idea. Oh, that whole concept. <gasps> he's the he's the guy. Yes, he well, did a very Jersey large stole it tour, and didn't yeah. do
1: it successfully. But no, not. <laughs> we were in an abandoned Sears parking lot, but oh. it was a. Uh, It was fun. I mean, it was wild because they got to pull up in their cars and, you know, they tune in on their dial and they listen to you through their, they're seeing you live, but they're hearing you through their radio. So I thought the idea was wild. And I only did like a couple of them. But yeah, it was also one of those moments where you're like, this is such a weird moment in time Mm -hmm. that you just sort of earmark it in your brain. going this will not always be like this so i'm going to enjoy the weirdness of this experience
0: that's a really good way of approaching it i think a lot of comics uh not a lot of comics but some comics had a hard time with that point of view and saying Mm uh you know as as terrible as the pandemic is it is something that the world experienced together and it will mark your life like 9-11 i everybody who was alive and you know old enough knows where they were when 9-11 happened in the United States at least anyway and in a lot of the world and I think unfortunately the pandemic if you have to glass half full anything you can say we all experienced this together as a human race and how Mm -hmm. you handled yourself and how you handled um others in this time I think speaks a lot uh about to who you are as a person and if you can say you know I'm going to keep plugging this is not the ideal arena for me to perform but I'm going to keep going I think that's such a great um, thing to take away from something as how hard and horrible as a pandemic you know one thing that really impressed me about Bert is as soon as as soon as he was in New Orleans about to go on stage and they were like closed for I mean it was like 4 p.m. And he was going on at seven and they were like, no, we're shutting down. This was March 13th, I think. And he had a tour bus full of comics that are now not going to be paid for a tour. And we financially would be fine during the pandemic. But the first one of the first things he said was, what's going to happen to the guys on this bus? Like they they need to make some money. So why can't we tour drive ins? And then not only am I giving my comics a job, I'm giving the venue a job. I'm giving the the. um, He traveled with a company that did like before the pandemic. They were doing raves at drive-in movie theaters already. So they were they just used the same exact technology of a rave with a DJ. They just replaced the DJ with a comic. So. Uh, he was like, I've now provided all these because you can't have a rave in a pandemic. So now I've given this company a job. Now I've given our merch company a job. Now I've given the local people at the drive-in movie theater a job. And now I've given people who are trapped in their house forever a place to go that's safe. And his thought really was about, really it was about the three comics he was traveling with and feeling responsible for them financially. and, And how... I was supposed to provide them with uh, an income for the next year. And now I can't provide them with anything. How do I change my point of view and how do I find a solution for this problem for his, his extreme anxiety and thinking that these guys were going to lose everything because this pandemic had shut them down. What's the workaround? And I thought, what an impressive human being. I've always been pretty impressed with Bert, but that particular Mm -hmm. moment in time, I was like, I could not have been more proud because he wasn't talking about the money we were losing or yeah. or the contract he would have to fulfill later. He was really worried about all the people that were losing their job in every Ugh. venue all over the United States, not just ours. And so I think if the pandemic brings that out in people, you know, where mm-hmm. you go, you know what, I'm in this community of people. You've got a Netflix special. You've got a hit TV show. I'm exactly the same as you. We're all performing at a level playing field in the middle of the park, and we're yelling and screaming, and it's probably pitch black, and nobody can see us well, and we're doing it. It's such a great experience. Well, I mean, that's
1: hugely commendable for him. I mean, he has a Joan Rivers mentality in that, like... If you ever watched her documentary when she was like, I can't have these empty days because when I have empty days, I'm responsible for this person behind me and the the people behind them and their families and stuff. Mm -hmm. The idea that you think beyond yourself, especially Mm -hmm. in a moment where everybody was like, I have to look out for number one. Mm -hmm. And the panic of the pandemic was kicking in. His thought was of a grander scale, which is awesome. And that's Mm -hmm. what makes him not only a good person, but an amazing businessman to go like, this is about the community and about the people around me. And I also feel like if you didn't come out of this learning something about yourself, my God. And I've said this to my husband, I was like, and he saw it. I felt like I made a huge leap as a comedian in this pandemic because I, I, I was like, well, the worst has happened. You've had everything taken away. So what happens when you have nothing left to lose? And a lot of people hated doing Zoom shows. But to me, I was like, oh, I love doing it because it took all my crutches away. I have a lot of crutches I didn't, I wasn't even aware that I use on stage to try to get a laugh. And it made me a better writer because you're in this small box. You can't get away with all these act outs that you've been relying on. So shift gears, like get better. Mm -hmm. That was the biggest thing. I was like, just use this moment to not pity. Don't pity yourself or your situation. Just shut up and put your head down and get better and then come out of this learning something more about yourself. I just feel more secure in like, all right, that, that the worst has happened for a lot of us, but I think I used my time well. You know, I did things that I never thought that I would. Like I, I wrote a pilot. I, why, you know, you've got the time to do it, do it. I mean, I come from that hard work and stock of like, no one's doing this for you. Mm-hmm. And that's, especially the lesson that I, that stand up has taught me is like, you are the, the, <laughs> you're propelling the train forward. You're the engine. And I've never expected anyone to hand anything to me. So my only goal is to just shut up and get better. Mm-hmm. Like stop thinking anything is there's, there's so much like, especially now it's like, what's owed to me? What do people entitlement? That's the word I'm looking for. Yep. And, um, impress people with how good you are rather than what you feel is coming to you what you feel you deserve. That's true. So,
0: humility yeah. is a, humility is a,
1: it's a virtue, is a
0: virtue. And sometimes it's totally lost. And, uh, you know, humility and grace and gratitude is the only way to walk through life is to say, there's always going to be someone better than you, than everybody. There's, there's mm-hmm. very few David Geffens. You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't know if there's anybody better than David Geffen. at what he does as a music producer, I mean, he's amazing, but there's, yeah. there's not very many Steven Spielbergs, you know, there's just a couple of those people. So to be, and, and one could say there's someone better than Spielberg in a different arena, you know, mm-hmm, So maybe mm-hmm. Scorsese is better than screen uh, Spielberg in certain areas. There's always someone that does something better. So not that to, that should make you feel bad about yourself, but that that should make you. Feel... No one's better than me, Leah. <laughs> <No one. laughs> Kitty LaRue was better. Kitty LaRue. Kitty LaRue.
1: Trust me. She was five feet zero and ready to kick some ass.
0: I bet. So uh, from,
1: yeah. Where I in mean, Boston are you from? I'm from Arlington, Massachusetts. So it's a suburb of Boston right by Harvard Square. Ugh. grew up there. Uh, I think Boston makes funny people. I do. There's something in the water there. We're just weird. We're a little bit British, a little bit strange. I don't know. But yeah, grew up in Boston. And part- I, I go back there to do shows every now and then.
0: You do? It's yeah, yeah. Like- I didn't
1: come up there, but, you know,
0: uh, yeah, as yeah, a
1: stand-up. Yeah. I, as a stand-up, I came up in New York. But it's like just as a person, and a performer in general, coming up in Boston just
0: funny people around there very colorful very very colorful town lots of colorful people yeah Um, colorful white people (laughs) yes (laughs) exactly oh i
1: didn't know it wasn't diverse until i moved here and i was like oh diversity is white people of different heights in boston
0: (laughs) of different heights yeah yeah true so that's pretty diversity means Mm -hmm. yeah that's pretty true and uh oh go ahead so do you have a dream role Is there a dream role or a dream job or a dream that you want that you want to tell me about? What's the dream? I think my
1: dream would be SNL still. And I know that, like, they're like, you're over 25. We don't want you, garbage. (laughs) (laughs) But I do feel like that's kind of my wheelhouse is characters, character voices, you know. I, I just think I could fly in a situation like that. I and, and I, it's always been such a sore spot for me, just because it was like I never knew how to get in there, get seen there. I didn't. It just seems like something that's eluded me. So for a long time, I just haven't even been able to watch it because you know when you're like something hurts so much because you want it so badly, you don't even want to like look at it. Mm-hmm. But I, I think it's it's always still there. It's always still burning because that's the fifth grade me. That's the one who would watch the videos and then act everything out for the kids on the fifth grade playground. Right. So, yeah, I do feel like that's always there. Uh, dream role. I don't know. I feel like they shift all the time. Mm. I think it's more about I, I want the chance to work in TV around some of the best I'm at that point where I'm like, I want to up my own game by surrounding myself with people who are so good that it scares the shit out of me.
0: Oh, that's a good goal. Yeah. It's a good goal for anybody in any industry to work with somebody who's so good it scares the shit out of you because then it challenges you to rise to their level. That's really great. You got to be frightened. You do. (laughs) Which is me pretty much every
1: day of my life, especially (laughs) in New York. But it's like when I go and I'm on shows where I see now I'm starting to see the fruits of the labor of the last so many years when I'm like, oh, my God, I'm on this lineup with these great people. Mm-hmm. So deliver at the same level that everybody does. Mm-hmm. So you don't feel any bump in the road at all. Right. right so right, I guess right. that's that's pretty much it. It's funny. I was talking to, to Steph the other day. Steph is Steph played you. Yes. In and the the upcoming. my best friend, Steph, Kurt Zuba. Awesome actress and she plays you in the upcoming movie of the machine which was so wild to watch her go through that and it was funny that she she got that gig a couple months after i had sort of like i heard i heard bert on the good one podcast and the stuff that he said in that episode just blew me out of the water so when she said she was auditioning for it i was like (gasps) oh I'm so excited for you. I didn't want to like put any carts before any horses, but I was so thrilled.
0: Oh, that's when she so got cool. it. So we went out
1: for drinks the other night. We were talking about it and she was just sort of reliving the experience. And, um, we were talking about hanging out with you at the Borgata and the Japan story. When I told you that I went to Japan and I didn't eat fish yes. for some reason. And <laughs> she was like, you need to tell me about what we went to. J- when I went to Japan, I went to teach comedy to Japanese children. Oh, my gosh. For one week.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: It was the weirdest opportunity. A friend of mine had started this company and he wanted to go international with it. This is the first time they were going to be in Japan doing it. It was Osaka, which is like country Japan. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like Tokyo. Tokyo where, yeah. Yeah. Like where you're going to see some English or something will make sense. It would be as if you dropped a Japanese person in New Hampshire
0: Right. Like there, right, right.
1: there's not a lick of a Japanese character up there. And we got brought into like the country of Japan. And I'm I have a translator and a, um, like a, a liaison, Japanese liaison, where not only is she sort of like helping to translate, but she's helping you navigate your way around Osaka mm-hmm. and in the culture of it. And you had to do the like
0: Japanese cultural thing. So she was like, we got to go to a spa. A Japanese, but oh. have you ever been to Japan? No, I've never been to Japan. No, I've been to Vietnam. Yeah. And uh, Singapore, but not, is it Singapore? No, Hong Kong. Was that the
1: Japan. place that you went where you were like, this feels like a foreign country? I am in yeah. a very different place.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Vietnam. Yeah. Is that the sure. furthest? And you went to Serbia, right? I went to Serbia. Yes. I didn't feel, I felt like I was kind of in New York. Um, oh, okay it reminded me a lot of New York. The visually it reminded me a lot of New York. Vietnam did not remind me of anything I'd ever seen before ever. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Those places that
1: you that was Japan for me, where I was like, I am in a very different place. Right. And so I wanted to do everything that you would do in these weird places you've never been. So let's go to the Japanese spa. And me and my friend Julie, who looks just like me, like we're tall redheads. You know, we looked like we were Easter Island getting dropped in Japan. We were just, we just stood out. We looked like Muppets. And so she brings us to the Japanese spa. Her name was Mammy, our Japanese liaison. <laughs> but nobody told me what it was. I thought it was like a place where you would go and get massages. I didn't know it was just a bunch of pools and naked people.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we have Korean spas here in LA, and it's you're just pretty much naked all the time. You're just walking
1: around naked. I don't do naked. I can't do naked. You didn't sit
0: over. You didn't sit your little hoo ha over a pot of steaming water. No. Oh my god! (laughs) Oh, I did not get
1: the Paltrow. But (laughs) when you first walk in there, they had like a vending machine that looked like a 1980s cigarette vending machine, where you like pull the lever and it drops something down, and you get a towel. Oh my god. And I was like, but the towel was a hand towel, Leah. I grabbed the wrong lever. So now I've got a hand towel that's like five inches by five inches. And then they were like, you have to go into the the spa. And and then everybody's naked in there. So I just I, I hate being naked so much. And I don't know if it's like a Boston Irish Catholic thing that we just don't we don't take our clothes off. We don't believe in nude. And, and now I have to get naked with my friend, Julie. And we go in there and you had to like squat on a little chair. Mm-hmm. that's like a foot above the ground to, and like you have to clean yourself off before you go into these places. And I was like, I'm in hell. And she knew I was in hell. She started spraying me with the shower spout. I felt like I was in Silkwood. Oh my God. It was bad. And then, so finally after like two hours there, I relax into being naked God help me. (laughs) And like, we go to sit on these, these chaise lounges and a woman comes out of nowhere, talking a million miles a minute. And Mammy is trying to translate. And I, I understood one word, which was Yakuza. And Mammy turns to me and she goes, you're getting kicked out of the spa. I got kicked out of the Japanese spa because they thought that I was mafia. What?
0: (laughs) Why? What made him think? Because I have tattoos. Oh my god, that's hysterical! I thought you maybe had a knife strapped to your bare thigh or something. Now that (laughs) would have been better, like in a Kill
1: Bill Volume Two kind of way. If I was packing, totally, I'd be like, you know what? This one's on me.
0: Because you have tattoos, (laughs) they thought you were in the mafia.
1: They thought I was in the mafia,
0: like the Irish mafia. No, like, the Japanese mafia, the Japanese. You don't look
1: Japanese at all. I know. And she was trying to explain that to her and the back and forth. And she, they were like, we don't care. It means that she's part of or like mafia sympathetic, I think, is what it is. And if you have tattoos, they don't want any part of you. So I'm now getting kicked out of a place naked. I'm naked. And oh I got God. kicked out of a place because I had tattoos.
0: Did you get to keep the towel?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I burned it I'm sure they burned it after I, I was ready to burn everything my ass uh, I uh,
0: that's <laughs> funny that's a funny story so what did you eat in Japan if you don't eat fish uh <laughs> I only ate chicken at the time I was like chicken
1: and vegetables and it, the chicken over there is not good it's like not what we know over here, everything is very carefully stripped and curated. And, you know, your chicken has lived a good life on a farm and you know, its whole backstory and they don't do chicken like that over there, but that was all I knew how to eat. <laughs> and Mammy, I went. To, I decided to go out on my own in Osaka one night and I didn't know how to say I eat chicken. So Mammy, made me a sign that said, I only eat chicken. And she hung it around my
0: neck. Oh, my God, that's hysterical. I only eat chicken. So do you still have this sign? I don't have the sign. I have a picture of it
1: somewhere, but I'm on the train with like a little a little badge on me that says I only eat chicken. (laughs)
0: That's so funny. Like you'd go into anaphylactic shop, shock if you had any kind of fish, anything other than chicken. I only eat and chicken. And I
1: have a, like yeah, basically a side being like in case of emergency break glass. <laughs> I only eat chicken.
0: That's really <laughs> funny.
1: And the fact that it was strapped to me like a like a badge, like a little thing that I would just cuz it had Japanese characters on it so I walked into every restaurant and just showed them the little badge. I only eat
0: chicken. <laughs> That's really funny. I mean, can you imagine going there without Mammy? Is that her name? Mammy? Yeah. I, I don't know.
1: I don't know how, because there was a day that I walked around by myself and I do not know to this day how I found my way back.
0: Yeah. It's yeah but crazy, I did. Right? I don't, it was I don't know. wild. Yeah. Yeah. When we went to Vietnam, uh, I went with my friend Sandy, who's Chinese, but, um, She uh, she sources uh, things from Vietnam for her job. So she had a liaison there who basically was our tour guide. And she Sandy speaks Cantonese, but not Vietnamese. And so I was like, well, surely there'll be enough Cantonese. I mean, we are kind of China adjacent. Surely no Cantonese at all. It was all Vietnamese everywhere. So I was like, thank God we had nam who was her friend's name was nam with us because i would never have enjoyed that country i would never have figured out how to do anything how i mean we took a train into sapa which is a really far from um ho chi minh city and i was like i I never would have made it here i would never do this without someone who spoke the language ever not ever no
1: you'd be done no and I, i mean especially in a place like that where it's not like you can kind of budget in a way. Like if you're in France, it's like, Oh, we have the same letters, but yeah. Pantalone, th- no.
0: okay. I guess pants. Okay. Got, got, it, it, got it. Got it. Got it. Exactly. Yeah. You can no. put the pieces together, but this is like reading hieroglyphics. Yeah. It's crazy. I wonder what yeah. they must think when they come visit us. Same thing. I'm sure they must think the same oh. thing. Did you f- have any know. food in Japan that you were like, now this is good food.
1: Um, what kills me is that I only started eating fish when I left there <laughs> on the flight back. For some reason, like I grew up in Boston and New Hampshire and Maine, that whole, like the area where you could get good lobster and stuff like that. Never grew up eating a lick of fish mm. and then went to Japan. Didn't eat a lick of fish there. Decided on the flight back. I was like, maybe I should see what all the fuss is about <laughs> on this Delta flight that's going to take about 25 hours. And I had shrimp on the flight back. I don't know. I don't make good choices. <laughs> I'm not hindsight. saying I'm smart. It's Hindsight. Hindsight. Yeah. Hindsight. Like the best fish you could ever have is there in Japan. And they put fish skin on everything. It's like parsley. It's Yeah. So I know I ate fish while I was there. I don't remember what it was. But let me tell you what. They could drink you under the table. Oh, yeah. I hung out with Mammy's mother, who was like 78 years old. This woman could pound beers. Like she was a frat kid. It was amazing. Amazing. <laughs> I was like, "There you go. I just got to get drunk and eat fish." I don't really remember. I had a lot of yogurt when I was over there, mm. and they love collagen. They they like. Now it's over here. Like there's a lot of people that you can put collagen in everything. There's collagen powder, but we, they were ahead of the game, and mm. they always look so good that I thought, "Oh, they know something we don't." Mm. And everything was like liquid collagen. You could drink it. You could eat it. Whatever. And I was like, I got to try some of this. And then I went to a 7-Eleven, their version of 7-Eleven, and I got a a drinking collagen. And so I did a collagen shot and I was like, wait a minute, what did I just do? (laughs) I just drank non-FDA approved collagen in a different country. And I don't know what I'm doing and I shouldn't close my eyes because I'm probably going to die and Oh, my God. I'm now a communist. I knew it. I know. I knew it. <laughs> but I woke up the next day and my skin looked great.
0: <laughs> you were glowing.
1: I know. I know. Well, I you had know, that Japanese skin.
0: The cool thing about Vietnam is, well, there's a lot of cool things about Vietnam. This is a stupid statement. But, you know, France occupied Vietnam for a long time. So the French obviously have some amazing cuisine. Yeah. So Vietnamese cuisine it's just some of the best food ever. And to have really? that. Oh, yeah. A Vietnamese sandwich. Uh, a banh mi. Oh, banh
1: mi. Oh, banh. Yes.
0: So good. But they.
1: Banh mi again.
0: Yeah, banh mi all day long, baby. <laughs> but they made French yogurt in Vietnam. I'd never had French style yogurt that's the Ooh. best yogurt i've ever had and i know i'll never find it in the united states i don't know how to make it that the 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 hotels we were staying in would make their own yogurt every day and it was the most i could have just bathed in it it was the best thing i've ever had it's one of the things that i want to go back to vietnam just to have yogurt <laughs> What's French yogurt what i don't it? know i don't know it's just yogurt but it's it has a very um uh, it's very smooth it's not bitter it's not really sweet it's just kind of yeah. like it tastes like a fairy made it it's <gasps> just really amazing
1: maybe so, that's what they did they milked a fairy maybe maybe
0: uh, i don't know do you know like the source of the
1: animal it is from is like cow milk is it sh- i don't know i don't know they're getting it from something weird it's like eagle milk
0: uh, something eagle milk <laughs> That taken would be, straight out of the
1: egg. <laughs> <laughs> swosen directly from the Eagles.
0: It's from the Eagle Schluder. <laughs> oh, which is very
1: difficult to construct if you don't have an Allen wrench. Exactly. Very hard to get your struder going. My struder. So is there anywhere that's my next book. in
0: the world that you would like to go that you haven't been?
1: Uh Definitely Australia and New Zealand. And I'm not just saying that because they have figured out COVID before any of us. I think it would be just cool to see. I, I've i been dying to go there. And I know they have comedy you know, festivals there, the Melbourne Comedy Festival. Uh, definitely. I've been really into Greece lately, like mm-hmm. wanting to go to Greece, mm. which I've. I never thought I would be because of my pale, pale, lily white skin. (laughs) I feel like I would just implode the second that I stepped foot in Santorini. But I I do want to go there. I
0: think it'd be cool. And weirdly, Montana. Oh, I just went to Montana. Ah, Montana's amazing, I have to say. Is it? it? Yes, it it was amazing. It was beautiful. And you know what was really fascinating about Montana from, um, I've talked about this on my podcast before, so sorry, maybe boring to people who've already heard sorry it. Sorry, repeat. Uh, you know, I grew up in rural Georgia. Uh-huh. So I grew up with Montana-type people. I grew up partly on a, a farm that had cows and um, pigs and goats. And so that kind of part of Montana, I understand. Yeah. But I have raised two kids in L.A., all day L.A., all day long, right? So they go back to my rural hometown, But that's not where they grew up. So it was really fascinating to go to Montana as who I am with my two children as who they are. (laughs) And they're like, we've never seen three-dimensional cows before. Well, no, it was really more about the taxidermy and the philosophy about hunting and guns in Montana is what I grew up with in Georgia. It's very similar philosophy about hunting and guns and Um, Not guns in relation to home protection, but guns in relation to animals. Like we had a farm, coyotes would eat the calves. So you have to have a gun so that you can protect your cattle because that's money. That's like if he eats a calf, that's $1,200. So (gasps) if someone said, hey, there's this wild animal just eating (laughs) $1,200 out of your purse, you might take some action. (laughs) You bet I would, even if it's my dog's. Right. Especially if they come back the next day and eat another $1,200. And then they come uh-huh. back the next day and they eat another $1,200. So not that anybody wants to kill a coyote, but if that's how you make your living, it beca- your perspective changes a little bit. You don't
1: eat my livestock. You don't eat my cash. Well, that's
0: my livelihood. That's how people make exactly. a living. Exactly, But yeah. my kids don't. Why would they ever have that perspective? They live in freaking... <laughs> Nobody's hunting Friends anything. Auto, is hunting that's
1: all they're doing. They're yeah. hunting
0: for bargains. Exactly, Fred Segal. No, they're going to the Goodwill store and hunting for bargains. Yeah. They are seriously <laughs> thrift shopping, so they don't look like rich kids. But um, kind of hunt. Yes, but it was really fascinating to go to Montana because we have beautiful places in LA. I mean, in LA, I can drive thirty minutes and I'm at the Pacific Ocean. And then I can, I'm the Santa Monica mountains are right here, or I could be in Big Bear in two hours. I could be in, in Yosemite in five hours. You know, we Mm -hmm. have a lot of beauty here as it's not the same as Montana, but it's still really beautiful. It's different than growing up, you know, like in New York where you, you have to go a little farther to find that kind of, um, diversity in nature you know
1: and people not peeing on the sidewalks i know (laughs) exactly that in and of itself
0: well we have that here too yeah all over the place in la but it was really fascinating to watch them process montana because you know it's full of hunters fishermen and like Nature. Salt of the earth type people, and it's just really fascinating to watch them process it. But Montana was beautiful. I think it's somewhere everybody should go once. And when they say big sky, you know, you think about big sky and what that might mean. But when you're yeah. standing in Montana, I have never seen a sky that big ever. Uh, I've been to oh Australia, God. I've been to Bali, I've been to Vietnam, I've been to Europe, I've been, you know, I've been a lot of places. I've been several places in the United States. I have never seen a sky look like Montana. Wow. Um, And I don't know why. I don't know what it is about that particular place. But I felt like there was way more sky than planet. Um, It's wild. It was very uh, overwhelming.
1: Yeah, I saw some video of it last night. And I was like, God, whatever that is, I want to go there because it even looks like it's more grand than Colorado. And I I feel like Colorado has that sort of like spaciousness. Mm -hmm. But there was something about that thing where I was like, what is that place? And I want to go there just so I can have that weird experience. Hunters and all, I don't
0: sign me up. Uh, it's really cool. I think it's cool. I think it's cool to to talk to people who are in a different culture that live in our very own same country. You know, it's exactly. like a completely different culture when when, you know, the guys that I grew up with that hunt for deer, they don't just kill a deer and go, I'm done. They kill it. They process all the meat they process the hide. Everything is used, just like back in olden days when, you know, the Native Americans would do it. They still do the same thing. So it's not like anything is wasted. I mean, they, they sometimes would feed the innards to their dog as a treat. You know, everything is kind of used. And so if you think about it in that and if people don't hunt deer, deer would be everywhere.
1: <laughs> well, they don't hunt them in Jersey. And man, I get it. They're yeah. all over our front lawn. We're like, Applebee's for beer. Uh, right? It's not a day that I don't open my window and I'm like, oh, they're here again. They're just, we'll have two eggs over easy. Like, Get off my lawn. And I'll strip so, your yeah. pantry
0: while I'm here. I'll strip it completely clean. I, uh, and then
1: I'll put together your struder. If you don't mind.
0: <laughs>
1: but was it a culture shock for you to go from Atlanta to L.A.?
0: I went from Atlanta to New York.
1: Oh, Atlanta, New York, and then LA. Okay, so you had a bit of a boop, boop, you could well New York was LA a big, culture is different than New York
0: too. Completely different. Yes. Yeah. Um, they were all very different. You know, the thing about Atlanta is Atlanta's a great town. Um, I never felt like I fit in. I just never found my people. I always felt like I couldn't be myself. I always had a little too much potty mouth. I never wore makeup. I'm not uh-huh. a polished dresser. I'm like you know, a smart girl that grew up in a trailer park, sort of. So I just never found my people in Georgia. So when I moved to New York, I thought, here's where I'm going to find my people. I never found my people in New York either. So, um, but I enjoyed living there. But man, it was a culture shock because I went, (laughs) I'll never forget getting off the bus. I, I flew into Newark and took a bus in to the Port Authority.
1: Oh, God, welcome to New York. In
0: 93, They're in 93. This is way Uh before Disney had anything to do with Times Square. So as soon as I walked out, you're in Hell's Kitchen and it's like, peep show, peep show, peep show. Naked. Five cent peep show. Stick your weenus in here and we'll do something to it mystery grab bag and i'm like what is this this is insane it was like porno 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 two for one who wants a jerk job while you're watching a disney movie but it's not disney it's really a porn it was just so listening to bizarre. kitty larue while that happened exactly so wow it that was a culture shock because you know i'd never seen anything like that uh like new york city i'd just never seen anything like new york city but i yeah. kind of um Really needed it. I think I needed to be I, I curious. Like I I was I needed to be curious. Like New York taught me how to be curious. I uh-huh. had never been to a real museum before. And I remember being really broke in New York. I was really, really broke. And I was walking through Central Park. I, I made sure I lived by the park because I grew up in such a rural part of Georgia. I knew I needed some way to the greenery really quick. So Mm. I was walking through the park and I came across (laughs) the Met. And I was like, what is this building? This is a huge building. What is this building? And it was a museum. And so I paid my like eight bucks and I cried through the whole museum because I was like, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I couldn't believe that these things that I'd learn about in history books, I was looking at. I just couldn't oh. believe it. It was such New York was such um, a growing period for me because as big a town as Atlanta is in 93, that's before the Olympics mm-hmm. came to Atlanta. It wasn't really that big. It was a pretty small town as before UPS moved to Atlanta. Atlanta was still a, a you know, a big fish in the small pond of the South. It really yeah. wasn't what it is now.
1: So, didn't they have the Coca-Cola Museum then?
0: I'm sure they did, but I never went. Um, you know Talk how locals, don't, locals <laughs> don't go to the tourist attractions. Locals no, in God, any no. city. So I didn't go to any of that. I think my yeah, mom yeah. may have taken me to the High Museum of Art when I was really young, and I thought it was the most boring thing ever because I was too young, you know? I didn't yeah. get it. And then by the time I was old enough to get like, oh, this is art, I I just I had not gone to any museum so New York was like that for me I had I you know went to Broadway shows and just just my mind was blown the whole time I kept going I can't believe this whole world exists and then the flip side you know I got mugged twice and uh you know that kind of shit happened and shady shit would happen all the time that you'd have to go oh wait that's That's actually not nice behavior. (laughs) I know. And there's a certain, there's like a tipping point where you're
1: like, do I just accept this like a Stockholm syndrome? It's like, (laughs) oh, mugging is just what happens now because of where I live. Right. What happened when you got you got mugged twice?
0: What was that? Well, I don't know. The first time wasn't really mugged. I was, I got off work. Um, I worked at the Paramount Hotel, which is on Times Square. And I lived on yeah. 80th and Amsterdam. So I went to, I was, for whatever reason, I walked down to 34th Street Station. Because I think probably 42nd was closed. I was really fucking angry. Something had happened where I was <laughs> really angry. And I was you going. You lived in New York. That's I know, right? Why. Yeah. And I was super mad. And I'm going up the stairs to go um, to subway platform because, you know, you go under one platform and up another. So, and this guy grabbed my crotch, just full on oh. grabbed me in the vagina on the stairs of the subway. And I just oh. beat, I just beat the fuck out of him. I grabbed his Good arm girl. and beat him up and was screaming at him. And I don't even think I stopped walking. <laughs> I just kept walking. <laughs> I was like, you piece of so how dare you touch me? You and know, like- then it was at the top of the platform. Tracy,
1: you're a new yorker now right if you can beat the shit out of some guy and not break your stride <laughs> right
0: you still had things to do you had places to go i was trying to catch that damn train you know yes. that damn train i needed to get home i'm sure i was late i'm sure i had to work yeah. late i was pissed anyway he caught me on the wrong day that guy <laughs> literally the, caught literally so I, that wasn't really mugged that was more like i don't know felt up groped inappropriately in a subway um But then this other time, I lived on 80th uh, between Amsterdam and Columbus, and I was walking to Columbus to catch the bus. I worked the breakfast shift at the Paramount Hotel, which meant I had to leave my apartment at 5, 4.30 or 5 in the morning. So it was really dark. And there was a guy sitting on a stoop. As I'm walking by him, I thought, he's going to mug me. (gasps) I should cross the street. This is a bad guy. And I hear him get up and start following me to the end. And I'm like, fuck i am fucked so of course the little spunky <laughs> redneck that i am he comes up to me and he's got a gun and a bag and he goes, give me your money. And I go, I'll give you my fucking money. You know what I'm doing? I'm walking to my job to make the money that I'm going to give you right now, you fucking piece of shit. Of course you sit on a stoop with a gun because you're such a coward. You can't even get a job. And I throw my money in his face. I walk to the corner. I take a left on Columbus. I go up two blocks to 84th. I take a left to the police station. I go, I just got mugged. I get in a police car, drive around the block and had him arrested. Fuck you, guys. Oh That's what I did. <laughs> that,
1: that is one of the best mugging stories in like an Aaron Brockovich kind of way, because you left there and the guy was probably like, you know what? She's right. <laughs> I doubt it. I, I, like, I you doubt it. Like, like you didn't just mug him like like he didn't just mug it like you. He got he got an earful, which is what everybody in New York wants. Is like if you're gonna mug me, you're gonna
0: listen to what I think of you right now. God damn it! <laughs> right. You sit there and you think about what you've done, you asshole. And they got him. They get. They did. I, the police. When I had to give them a police report, I told them everything I said to him, and they went, "Wow, here's what happened. <laughs> you took him completely <laughs> off guard. He's he, just five foot." you know, five foot four hundred pound girl screaming and throwing money at him aggressively. You met the aggressor with aggression and he didn't know what to do. He said the police officer said, don't ever do that again. That was really (laughs) stupid. I was like, but it worked. It worked. I got away and I got you and he's arrested. And I win. But you do realize
1: you paid him, right? I know. (laughs) I know, right? I did. I think I had
0: $17. So he really scored. You just
1: made it rain on him. Like he, what if this whole time he wasn't even asking you for any of that? What if he just wanted to show off the gun? Because all so he I said right, was, I've got either. a gun. And right. no, he's
0: like, wait, wait, I don't want money. I just want to show you my piece. Right, right. <laughs> I was wondering, do you have gum? I mean, I just pulled a gun on you, but I was just wanted some gum. No, no. You should really enunciate. Here's some more money for lessons. Right, right. <laughs> that guy. That, that was, <laughs> you paid him. I, now, at, at this age, at 51, I go, Wow. I would be so upset if my daughters did that. But both times I just I think when you live in New York, if you can really live in New York, you have to have some of that in you. Right. Oh, yes. The city would just kill you. It would just eat you alive.
1: You develop fight, you develop a callus to the point where it's like, you know how they always say like live in New York and leave before you get too hard and live in L.A. and leave before you get too soft type thing. I have never left. So now I'm dead inside. But it's you do have to. And I came from like Boston, which wasn't some small place. I grew up going to New York regularly. But to live there is a whole different thing. And to build up the callus for it, it, it was shocking to me. And that first year, especially, I was like, you, I will never admit defeat. I would never say this is too much for me, but that's really how it felt, Mm -hmm. especially like the cat calling and the, the chronic sort of like the shit that just gets thrown at you every day when you're just trying to get from point A to point B that exactly. You're so automatically angry, which is this guy just felt me up, but I don't have the time. To actually stop and deal with him. So I'm going to drag him with me onto the Q train where I can beat the shit out of him there and still get to work on time because right, right. I don't have the time for this.
0: So I, it, the cat
1: calling was a big thing for me is that like, uh, you know, I, I've never. I don't say catcalling because I'm some hot. <laughs> oh,
0: no, I, no, you have a vagina. That's, not that's all that's required.
1: That's it. That's even it. that, even that is yeah. not required. They're like, do you have a nose? Do you have a basic face? Do you even they would cat call a ghost if they wanted to. It's just, But it's so aggressive sometimes. And, and there's points that you snap. And I remember some guy cat called me and it was night and I was not far from where I lived. And I just started following him. And grilling him, it's like, what do you think is going to come of this? Do you honestly? And like, if I did that now, I would 100% be laying in a ditch. Somebody would uh, would own my kidneys and that would be it. But like, there's points that just make you pop and snap. And the things that you do that you wouldn't do anywhere else in the world. I remember kicking the side of a truck one time because he just (laughs) cut me off when I was walking. The things that you think that your body would never do. You go into overdrive. I also remember there was a guy who cat called me on the street one day, but all he said was, that's a nice dress you're wearing. But I was so ready for a fight that I was like, come on, go on. You you have this armor that you put on as soon as you leave your apartment in New York. And I walked by this guy and he was like, that's a nice dress you got on. And I stopped and I looked at him and I had such like rage in my eyes. But then my brain processed what he said was technically a compliment. So (laughs) I just looked at him and I was like, thank you. (laughs)
0: That's so funny. I said,
1: thank you. But I was like, I'm going to, you're not, that was a very nice thing you said, but I'm not going to let you think that it was OK. So thank you. Like, (laughs) that was cat call adjacent. Cat call adjacent. It was almost. Just close enough, you are. You're lucky what you said wasn't dirty, mister. But (laughs) uh, it is a very good dress. Yes, it is. Thank you very much. Thank you. I'm moving on. It's amazing the stuff that, that you get pushed to do every day in New York. And I, I don't know why I'm still here. It's tiring.
0: It is tiring. You know, at a certain point, I... Um I went there actually to study acting. And then while I was acting, I discovered I liked writing much better. So when I moved to LA, I moved still as an actor, but very shortly after I moved here, I just stopped acting entirely and just focused on writing. But when I was in New York, I kept, I was not happy. I kept going, you should be happy where you live. And part of, of living here, I loved the city. I actually, had a second floor walk up. I was happy with my apartment. I loved my neighborhood. I had no complaints with any of that stuff. I just didn't find my people. And I was there for four years. And I was like, if I haven't found them by now, I'm not going to find them. So it's going to be super unlikely. So let's give L.A. a shot. When I moved to L.A., I kept my apartment in New York and sublet it just in case. I was like, I definitely am not going back to Georgia. So if I can't figure it out in L.A., then I'll just go back to New York and regroup because I have this uh-huh. great apartment. I paid five hundred dollars a month uh, on eightieth, eightieth between Amsterdam and Columbus, and it was a oh. one bedroom, second floor. No. yep, yeah. five hundred bucks a month, and it was rent controlled.
1: Screw finding your people. You found your apartments. I know, right? That was oh, that is oh, I it just was need crazy. A moment.
0: I know, right? Yeah. It was crazy. So it was hard to it leave hurts. that apartment because I knew what a find I had. But I'd been here about six months and I went, okay, this is my speed. This is this is this is more livable. I can go hiking every day if I want to. I can get in nature. I can park my car. Yeah. Uh, I didn't have a car in New York, which I actually really liked walking and not having to have a car. You can't live in LA without a car. It's just it's just yeah. super hard. No. Um you can. People do all the time, but it's really, really hard. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I found my people here. I have some great friends that are like family and um, none of them are from here. One's from Maine. One's from Boston. One's from hey. Northern California. Um, well, my yeah. people, you got some East Coasters there. Got some Kansas City. Got a Kansas City there in mid- mid- Midwesta. Well, where's um, your Boston friend from? uh it's my my friend sandy who's who's uh God I don't know Boston well enough she grew up um she's Chinese so she no. grew up I think somewhere around the Chinese community in Boston um fascinating uh whenever
1: I meet Boston people Boston will always it's always gonna be home mm-hmm. to me and it was before we found this house this is the only place I've ever come into where I was like this is home. And I've never had that feeling anywhere else. Well, at uh, London for a little bit. I was Mm. in London for a while. Mm. I could live in London again in a heartbeat. Mm.
0: London's great.
1: That's my vibe too.
0: London's great. London's really great. I liked London a lot. Where do you live? Do you mind if I ask? I'm in West Orange, New Jersey.
1: Ah. I did not think I am not a fan of the state of New Jersey. It doesn't have personality. They're, it's not my state. And I was like, we, we lived in a place before this. And I was like, this is, this just blows. This is, again, it was like, you don't find, I wasn't finding that comfort zone. Right. And even though I've lived in every single borough in New York for various places, there was never a place in New York that I was like, I'd go home and be like, ah, this is home. And this is the place where you relax. I mean, the first apartment I had in New York was in Spanish Harlem. It was a fifth floor walk up, which was after a long, hard day going up. These stairs was rough. And this is before Spanish Harlem was like, oh, you know, somebody put a Whole Foods in there and then, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. And they would film porn on the second floor. I don't know why porn is a theme in my life (laughs) for such a non-naked person. So they would film porn on the second floor of this fifth floor walk up. And that was my like, welcome to New York. Like I had just graduated from college. I get dumped in the middle of the city. And it was so like, oh, so much sensory overload. But this my friend had found the fifth floor walk up and I was like living with him. And they would film porn, you know, twice a month. And there was a pool on the second floor. So whenever they were filming, there were signs up that said, quiet, please. Filming in progress. And I'm like, oh my do you need the- Oh, OK, you need silence to get into character. Right. And we would watch it from the fifth floor. I was like, "Ah, oh, it's porn filming day, you guys. Oh, my
0: God. That's so crazy. And there was a
1: funeral home on the first floor. And this is before cell phones. This is sad. So I would call my parents at home in Boston, but it was on a landline. And the landline was like a party line that was connected to the funeral home downstairs. And it was such a New York story where I'd be like, well, hey, guys. I'm I'm really feeling like I'm nervous and homesick. And then the, the funeral home director would pick up the phone and be like, get off the fucking phone. We got to use it right now. You're a son of a, who is this? Where are you? Li-? I was like, I have to go. It's all too much. A guy on the street today said he liked my dress. And I, I, I don't want to be here anymore.
0: Oh my God. Where so was I'm that? Where aggressive. Where was I? Cause I lived on 110th and Riverside, which was pretty up there i lived there before i found this awesome second floor walk up and a fourth floor walk up and the person on the fifth floor was either insane or a composer i'm not sure which because the piano was like all night this piano and it sounded like someone was just banging and i was like is he schizophrenic and then by the, I lived there only three months while I was looking for this fabulous second floor walk-up. And it was a sublet from a Rockette. I sublet it from a Rockette who got engaged. And uh, she was like, I, I met her through a friend. And I was like, I have this apartment. I'd love to sublease for three months. And I was like, I'll take it. Oh, my God. I used to get out of the subway and I'd go like this and look at the street to see what crazy people were on the street. And if it was uh-huh, clear, uh-huh. I would run to my apartment building <laughs> <laughs> <So> <laughs> shoo, 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 shoo. run because I was so scared that part of town it was 1993 it was so yeah, yeah. scary up there um and that's right around Columbia right 110th I uh, think is right around Columbia and Riverside University. yeah yeah that's where oh my god but yeah I would lay there at night going I think this person is actually insane but by the time <laughs> I left three months later there was a little bit of a tune like I was oh like my god. OK, I think minute. he was composing something. Maybe it just started out even Sondheim.
1: Is that exactly. you? Like, wouldn't it be great if you found out it was John Williams? It's just like <laughs> I just like to I, I have this apartment in the city I like to use to work out some new tunes. And wow, it, there's such a fine line between crazy and genius when it comes to composers anyway. So it
0: could have been could have been. I mean, literally, by the time I left, I was like, huh starting to sound like music starting to sound like music now i mean before it sounded like a sledgehammer and a piano now okay damn it i should right. say for three more months and see what this tune turns out to be it's probably going to be like a jingle for pepsi <laughs> you know yeah. and all of a sudden you were like alexander hamilton my name is alexander hamilton who
1: is writing a musical about him this is nuts i have got to move to la this is awful get me out of here (laughs) i i was on i was 110 and first at so i was on the complete opposite side side, yeah of the park from you but my god that's yeah wouldn't it be great if the porn was as good as your composer the things (laughs) that you also deal with the people that were up to the side and to the left and I remember that I had like the typical New York experience where some guy died in his apartment across the hall from me and nobody knew about it for like two weeks. <gasps> and then of course I told my friends, I'm like, there's a place open. Anybody Ugh, right? who wants it, there's Hurry. a Thai restaurant across the street. Right. You want to get Hurry in on this. Up.
0: Yeah. The, New York is a, was a crazy place to live. I remember going to get um, Indian food for the first time in Alphabet City.
1: Oh, and yeah. people
0: were walking over. A human being on the sidewalk who I'm pretty sure was dead. And yep. I, I kept going, like, Is someone going to call? Like, did someone call 911? I mean, what's happening here? This guy yeah, is like, You get gray. so desensitized because you look and you're like, If I do that, then I'm involved. And if then I do that, I'm going to miss the NR. I'm exactly. going to miss the NR for Queens.
1: My friend, my friend, oh, here's, you're going to like this story because this is horrifying. My friend had. The worst of those experiences. Mm. It was late at night and she was out. She had to take the A train back uptown and she gets on the train and there's a couple sitting across from her, a man and a woman. And the girl is just looking like staring at her, sort of like just blankly staring. And down at the other side of the train car was another guy who was sitting at her, also staring at her. And you know, when you get on a train and you're like, something's wrong, mm. or you're in a situation and you know, especially your gut backs up and it's like there's something I don't trust about this. And it's mm-hmm. late at night. And she's like, okay, okay. Something is making me nervous. I'm gonna get off at the next station and I'm gonna wait for the next one to come in. So the train rolls in and she goes to stand up at the doors and she sees the guy from the other end of the platform of, of the train car get up at the same time and he goes to the doors and he still has his eyes on her. And she rolls in, she was like, this guy's gonna follow me the second that I get off the train. So as the train comes into the station, she sees there's a guy about to get on the train car. So she's like, just calm down. There's a new person getting on the car, sits back down again in the same spot. New guy gets on the train. The other guy at the other end of the train sits back down again. So she was like, shit, I was right. He was going to follow me. New guy gets on the train, sits down. Train starts rolling along. They're about to pull into the next station. The guy who just got on the train gets, comes up, gets goes over her and says, I'm getting off at the next stop and I highly recommend that you get off with me. And now her stomach is like on fire. She's like, what the fuck? Okay, so train rolls into the station. Okay, I'll get off with this guy. The two of them go to stand up at the train doors. Same guy at the other end of the train stands up, is staring at the both of them. Train comes into the station, doors open. She gets off with this guy. The other guy does not get off. Train doors close. Train moves along, and he's like, "Do you know why I told you to get off with me?" And she's like, "No, why? What? The, what is going on?" She goes, "Because that woman sitting across from you was dead." Oh, <gasps> I know, I know. They were transporting her body on the A train in the night because sometimes if you kill somebody, you don't have the money for an Uber or a cab is so hard to shove the body into the, the trunk. She was dead. Oh my She was God. propped up. And she said that her, she levitated out of the station. It was like her feet couldn't move fast enough. She got up above ground, ran to a friend's apartment. I would be gone oh, from New York it. the next day. There would yeah. be an errand shaped hole in the wall. Of the A Trade platform, you would never see me again. Goodbye, New York. I'm moving to Guam. I'm done.
0: Yeah, right. Well, but I talk about a New York experience. Yeah, oh my God, that's crazy. You know, I moved shortly after the watching people walk over the dead body. That was like January, and yeah. I left in April. I was like, I don't think I can be here. This is yeah. not for me. Um, there's, that's just too gritty for me. I, I couldn't. I actually watched the person on the sidewalk to see if anybody came and and the paramedics did come for him and uh, he wasn't he actually wasn't dead but he was (laughs) totally gray and people were like literally like walking over him like this do 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 step over i was like how do you step over a human being i'm just gonna watch what's going on here for a second And then when they showed up, I was like, "Okay, then I'm leaving as as, as somebody came. I'm leaving. I'm leaving. And then shortly after that, I was like, I think I got to move. I think I need to move. Yeah,
1: it's so not good. And at Mm -hmm. the same time, I'm like, oh, yeah, I get it. I get it. It's there's there's a point that you're like, I I either have to accept this and and become like part of the stream of it or I I should run screaming. And I do think once the pandemic hit, wow, talk about separating the wheat from the chaff. We were like, everybody fled. And I thought, yeah, I wouldn't come back. If I had not, if we had not been where we are, Mm -hmm. if we had not been in a place that we loved Mm -hmm. to like find a home that I'm so in love with two years before this all hit, you know, I would have been like, peace, let's go start a new life. Well, that's kind of
0: what Stephanie did a little bit, right? They went unplugging, getting in an RV, hitting the road. Isn't that yeah. what she did with her family? Yeah.
1: Yeah. They sold their house and then they were like, let's, let's go. And it was not, I think, you know, they're also trying to travel in, in like the height of the pandemic. So it's not like it was a normal experience. It's not like, let's go see the world. It's let's go see the world during a pandemic and a yeah. crisis. Yeah. So I think it wasn't exactly, maybe some of the experiences were different than what she would think. It's not like a, a vacation per se, mm-hmm. but it was like, let's go. And, and not be here in the thick of all that, because this is not like New York was not the place to be no. during it. But, you know, that's why I said, God, everybody's going to peace out and they're going to find, oh, I can be. Oh, in other places, people are happy. Oh, I'm staying out here yeah. where I can like breathe fresh air. And I know a lot of people who did that. But it's funny now they're all coming back
0: Interesting because it's
1: like this is what we've known for so long. and I think in Steph's case also, it was like, well, her husband, we they know he has the job here on mm-hmm. Broadway that they have to go back to. Same thing with mine. My husband works on Broadway. So it was like, this is the thing we know. It is eventually coming back. Mm-hmm. It's going to take a minute. But we knew that we had to be here and well, our community is here. Right. That really is it. It's like me and Steph talked about that. She's like, now that I'm back here, it's so good to be back. By my people Mm -hmm. and the things that are familiar and the things that are home. Mm -hmm. But I was like, if I were, I know so many friends who were single and had apartments in New York. I was like, God, if I were you, I'd be like, goodbye. I'm moving to another country. I would have, I would have been so far gone because it was so, I mean, but on the back end of things, because I was here and I knew I had to be here. It's not like we were going to sell our house. I said, the next time I move, it's going to be in a body bag. I can't go through another move again. You know, it's so yeah, yeah. It's traumatizing. Awful. It's awful. It's Moving awful. sucks.
0: Moving's terrible. Moving's it's terrible. so,
1: and it took the life out of us because we moved like we were refugees. Like we just ran. Like we were throwing stuff in garbage bags on those last couple of days. You know what? You're like, you start out so organized and everything has bubble wrap and boxes. And then in the last two days, you're like, get the van, just throw everything in it and put it in a trash bag. I don't care anymore. What is that? What are those priceless mementos I can never replace? Burn them. I don't care. There's no space for them. We left furniture.
0: Oh, I, yes. You're like, take the yeah. old lady's shopping cart from down the street. We're going to borrow her shopping cart. We'll bring it back later. I know. Well, and even that, I'll burn that when I'm done, too. I don't <laughs> just care. Just get me out of here. I know the last bits yeah. and pieces are the worst. Oh, the worst. sentiment
1: goes out the window. Yeah. Priceless memory is gone forever because you just can't bother with them I know, after right? a while. But like if, if I had not gone through that, I mean, a lot of people were selling houses and, and just getting up and out. I was like, I can't, I got to, we're staying, we have to stay. And we muscled through it. And it was so creepy to see what New York looked like in the height of the pandemic. And when all of like the riots and stuff were going on Mm -hmm. and the the shops that were boarded up. Mm -hmm. And again, it's like, on on the one hand, you're like, this is Horrifying. But on the other hand, like the the cultural anthropologist in me is like, this is something you never thought you would see in your life and you will never see again. So like open your eyes wide and take a lot of snapshots because we uh, we had to go into like I was going into New York to do shows still in the park. But this was in the height of everything that was going on. And all of the stores on Fifth Avenue boarded up streets completely empty. You know, nobody around, nothing. It was so wild just to like sit in it Mm -hmm. and be like, this is really weird. And I mean, heartbreaking because there's things that you see that you're like, but that's my restaurant that I would go to all the time. And that's gone now. And these bars that we would hang out with, are those going to ever come back? Mm -hmm. It was, I mean, it's still right now, rocky, Mm -hmm. dicey. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting also now that we can be back inside Mm -hmm. to do comedy shows here and to see there's no lack of people wanting to come out.
0: No, you know, no lack of people. You know, the thing is, now I was talking to my friends about this. There's two sides of the coin. I think there are people who are still really panicked and afraid of where we are, that all these people aren't vaccinated, that people are getting sick, even though they are vaccinated. But I think we have to figure out a way to live with this, you know, to just know that you get the flu shot and sometimes you still get the flu. Um, Yeah. And sometimes not that anybody wants this to happen to anyone in their family or anyone they know, but some people would die of the flu and Mm -hmm. we don't want that ever. We don't anybody to die from any disease, but we didn't stop living because of the flu. exactly. So we have to yeah. kind of say this is a mitigated risk. Everybody get vaccinated, not because <laughs> we're turning into zombies or they've now got a microchip <laughs> in our body. I think that would have probably happened in the flu shot. If we were going to get microchipped, they probably would have done it in the flu shot. So um, you carry your iPhone everywhere. You are microchipped. Yeah, totally. They know where
1: you are. Totally.
0: And there's no I mean, I don't understand that whole thought process. It doesn't really add yeah. up to me. But. At some point, you just have to say, like, Bert has a big show in Red Rocks next week. And it's outdoor venue, but it's 10,000 people. And forever, the show was actually booked for last September during the middle of the pandemic. So they pushed it one year. And now the Delta variant's back. And all of our friend group is going to Red Rocks. And there's a couple of adults in my friend group that are like, should we go? I'm not sure. And I'm like, well, we're all vaccinated. We'll all wear a mask. At what point do you decide this is my calculated risk and I just have to keep living? Am I never going to go see a movie in a movie theater again ever? I mean, something as simple as that. No, I am not going to stop doing those things. I will take a booster shot if I need one and and I can get one. Totally. No problem. Um, But yeah, you've got to just kind of at some point say we have to continue on and we have to yeah we have to continue on we have to trust in science and trust in our government even though i think for some people that's an irrational statement i don't think Uh it's an irrational statement i think that there's corruption everywhere but i don't think that there's any kind of conspiracy i don't think the government created the pandemic and i don't think the government is like cloning people or making zombies with a vaccine. I think they're trying not to that keep good. us alive. No, no. Yeah. I mean, they need us alive yeah. to pay our taxes. So come on, right? Yeah. We're, so you do the math. Yeah. Literally, right? they want your tax money. No. So that should give you some reason to think they're not trying to kill you. They want your tax money. Come on, you know. I like that.
1: Also, the people who are like, "I'm not putting some sort of weird uh, thing into my body, some sort of chemical," are the same ones that would do a bump of cocaine off of somebody. <laughs> you know.
0: Well, I saw this amazing drawing, like a cartoon, that had um, Hillary holding a sign and Trump holding a sign. And Hillary's sign was, my body, my choice. And Trump's Mm -hmm. sign was, my body, my choice. But his was about the vaccine and hers was about abortion. And I was like, isn't that interesting? They're both saying, my body, my choice but about different issues. But we can't seem to see the other side. (laughs) What is our issue? It's really interesting. I love that cartoon. Well, it's
1: so accurate. It's It's just like, well, the exact same argument we all have been making this whole time, also in the throes of like all of this anti-abortion stuff that's happening in Texas. What interesting timing. Isn't it? That you don't want the government to tell you what you should or should not do to your body or put into your body or take out of whatever the case may be yeah it's like then i don't want to hear it from you guys yeah when right more of these bills come to the but yeah because it's guys it's affecting men then that's a very different situation
0: ain't it though ain't it though yeah mm.
1: yeah but true. please oh my god just, like it's because i know people who aren't vaxxed that i went to high school with her i was like you smoke meth. You're worried, <laughs> right? You're worried about a chemical. I don't want them tracking me as I open my iPhone and I get five <laughs> pointed ads like directed right at me. Exactly. They're already tracking you. Oh, please, honey, please. microchip me. If you're going to be so disappointed when you see how far <laughs> I go in a day. Right. <laughs> They're like, this so bitch true. hasn't left New Jersey in five days. I don't even think she's left her living room. Okay, <laughs> like, Starbucks three times
0: in a day, she's got a problem. <laughs> Come on.
1: But send her ads. Send her more ads for Starbucks <laughs> because, you know, just two more. Threw, we, throw some money their way. Yeah. We Maybe yeah, we'll may be, be
0: able to get her to five. You just, just keep <laughs> trying. She may get there five times a day. But we do,
1: we have to keep like living. It was funny. I went to a movie the other day by myself, which is what I always did. Anyway, I go see horror movies by myself all the time. It's what I do. And then I walked into a movie theater like one 30 on a Friday and I'm like, God, this feels so weird. And I don't want that to disappear. I don't want movies to disappear. People right now are worried about Broadway and well, are people going to want to come? And I was like, yeah, I think they will. I mean, I don't think that there's a lack of people wanting to go out and see things if comedy clubs are any gauge of like what else is coming. I mean, right. I was surprised when we went back in. I was like, some comedy clubs are so oversold, they're now on stage with us. Wow. Where I'm like, wow, if they could sell tickets inside of me, they would. <laughs> They'd be like, now, nah, and now you can. See the show from inside Aaron McGuire. It's a very specific (laughs) ticket. It's a VIP vagina.
0: Right? (laughs) VIP.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's what the V stands for. And I mean, I was talking to to a club owner about this. And I I was like, but you see that there's no lack of people wanting to come out. And he goes, but what's interesting is the demographic. He's like, look around. Most of the people are in their 20s. And I was like, Oh. That was wild that he brought that up. I've seen more variations in other clubs I've been to, but he's like, yeah, he's, for the most part, it's in the 20s because there's like no fear of death. Right. And I don't know. I think I think we're going to see people coming back because I think, I wonder if the thing that will turn them off is now the fact that they have to show proof of vaccine.
0: You know, that's a and very... And people are
1: so tickly about it.
0: It's a very good question because I know... I know a comic just announced her tour and her, the venues, not her, but the venues were requiring proof of vaccination. So she posted yeah. something online about um, don't even bother showing up if you're not vaccinated, and she started getting canceled. Like people just completely canceling their schedule and um and, uh, their their tickets. And I thought that's really shitty. I mean, yeah, why, that's really shitty. If it, I don't know, it's it seems to it me a really stupid sword to die on. Right. <laughs> why yeah. do you want to die on the sword of I have to show you my card? You're now violating my privacy. Well, I, really? Come uh, on. I guess you, you got to show your driver's license when you go into a lot of places. What's the yeah. difference? I have your information from your driver's license. Come on kind of because the, uh, the the argument
1: is not science it's political yeah and it never should have been no. that from no. the get go never no, no never and no. you know i think a lot of companies were waiting for to get the official fda approval before they could legally say we have to see your vaccination card and once pfizer did that and broadway was like we're requiring this and mm-hmm. now the clubs are requiring it mm-hmm. it's a, a citywide thing mm-hmm. and people are just like crossing their arms about it. I, I I don't I don't get it. And it does, it takes it out on the artist too, especially when in her case it's like, well, these venues are requiring it.
0: Right. It's not even her. So mind.
1: Yeah, deal with it. It is what it is. Mm-hmm. But it's like you couldn't when you went to school, didn't you have to show proof that you were you had your MMR and your polio and mm-hmm. all that stuff. I just think vaccinations have become this weird talk about this is the hill that everybody's dying on. I'm like, well, you know maybe we shouldn't say dying but still yes 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 yeah
0: dying maybe that was my choice of words maybe not the best but you know things have changed now everybody got vaccinated when we were kids but um i have some of george's friends are anti-vaxxers from birth they don't they don't have any vaccination and they can't be denied school because they don't have vaccination. But my opinion, and this maybe I'm sure if one of her friends' moms is listening, I might get lambasted for this, but I think it's your civic duty to get vaccinated because it's not just about you. If you if you are not vaccinated and you have polio and you give mm-hmm. it to another person who's not vaccinated and they get polio, now you are spreading something that is very easily preventable by just getting a vaccine. And I know and that's it,
1: all it is. It's all it yeah. is.
0: But I understand that their point of view is we don't know what's in the vaccine. Vaccine can't be trusted. Some people believe it causes autism. I don't think there's enough science to prove that. Um no. but so we live in such a civil liberties country where you can't really address that without addressing. And again, it's not about it's, it.
1: We live in a me country, too, which mm-hmm. is like, you know, you need to do this for the good of all. And it's like, well, the hell with you. I'm right. gonna, it's about me. Yeah. And what I think and what I want to do and about me and my people. And it's people dig their heels in. And it's like, well, that's why measles came roaring back for mm-hmm. a
0: minute. It did. Yeah, exactly why. It's because people weren't vaccinating. It's a super simple solution. But I don't know. People have different uh, civic mindedness doesn't exist the way it used to anyway. Just to be very civic minded and say what's the best thing. Like when when Bert lost his job and he was like, wait, now all the people on my tour bus are not working and all the people in all these venues are not working. That's a very civic minded, community minded person. And I just don't think that exists so much anymore. We're not so civic minded, you know, and that's really a shame because we all have to live together. So like it or not, you got to live with other people, especially in New York or L.A. or big cities. Um, But it's also like you then be left out in the rain. It's like if
1: then, okay, fine, if you're not going to help out. The greater good, then you won't have access to all of these things. <laughs> right. It's like you won't be able to go to your restaurant or you won't be able to go to a show or whatever. And it's like I think ultimately the people who cross their arms and dig their heels in are going to realize what they're missing out on.
0: Right. They're shooting themselves. I would in the hope. Foot. Yeah. They're shooting themselves yeah. in the foot. They're saying I'm choosing not to be part of this community, I guess, in some yeah. ways. And yes. look, nobody is more scared of
1: weird drugs than me. And that's just because I'm built like a chihuahua. <laughs> and,
0: and things hit me
1: weirder and harder than the average bean. Thank you, low blood pressure. But like, I, it, you know, it's why I've never like been a casual drug user. It's <laughs> ask Steph, like I had half an edible once and like she found me wearing a sombrero and terrified underneath a table. I don't. <laughs> My body doesn't process drugs well. So I was like, and of course, I'm like first in line to get the vaccine, though, because do it. Let's do it. Yeah. And I always thought I was like, oh, God, I'm going to be that person that gets the vaccine. And it's like she got the vaccine and now she can only talk when she runs backwards on a treadmill,
0: (laughs) you know? Yep. And arms. I thought I'd be that. (laughs) Yeah.
1: But still first in line.
0: Yeah, totally. Give me
1: the boosters. Give me all of it. And I'll shoot me, baby.
0: Right here, shoot me up. Right wow. here. And well, yes, sh- it
1: did wallop me.
0: Oh, it did me too, man. I slept, I had, it gave me narcolepsy. I would be like this and then I, <sighs> well, totally, I fell asleep five times the day I got vaccinated. Five times, sound asleep, That's had no idea what awesome. I was to sleep. Uh, my friend who I went with, we we uh, we went together and got vaccinated. She got really sick, like fever and all the symptoms. I just literally would be in the middle of a conversation with my daughter and go, And asleep. (laughs) (gasps) What a weird
1: side effect. I haven't heard that happen to somebody. I I know
0: one other person who that same thing happened. He was like, I could not. I probably shouldn't have, you know, operated heavy machinery. I would have fallen asleep. Oh, my God. You got sleepy. I got Wow, ridiculously tired. I mean, just like my body just shut down. At one point, I woke up and I was—I remember lying down on the ground next to my pool because it was warm. <laughs> but I don't remember falling asleep. I woke up and it was like, i i, I fell asleep on the ground. I was so tired." <laughs> I was just sleep. Bert wakes you up. It's like Leanne. It's Tuesday, right? You've been here for three days. <laughs> exactly. Exactly.
1: Exactly. Oh my, I was going to get a stretcher. My God. Uh-huh. I got knocked, it knocked me off my pants. The first one, not so much, but the second one, and this is weird. I was um, I, I thought that I would be able to like override it, you know. I'd be like, it's all in mind. I'm not gonna get any side effects from this. And I got the shot, and the second he gave it to me, I was like, This is bad. <laughs> this is not gonna end well. Oh no. And weirdly, I was having a Zoom brunch with Lisa Loeb. Totally bizarre. A friend of mine is good friends with her. And I was like, I can't get sick because I am having a Zoom brunch with Lisa Low. Oh <laughs> it was the God. weirdest thing. And I did. And I had a great time with her. Totally healthy. Had to drive to Boston that night because I was singing in a funeral the next day. But I was like, no option. No, I had to get my shot that day. Had to be okay. Get to Boston about a half hour before I got there. My husband's driving, and I was like, hmm. <laughs> um, you know what? I don't want to make a big deal out of this, but uh, maybe we should stop and get, um, get some ginger ale and uh, some Tylenol, and I'm going to be fine. I'm going to be fine. I'm all right. I'm okay. He went into a Walgreens. By the time he went in and came back, I was in full-on shiver shakes, sweating through everything. I owned, like, you got to drive fast because I'm going to puke. The side effects were so, when it hit me, when the penny dropped on that, woof, it hit me hard. And I thought, is this like a preview of how your body would have reacted had you gotten COVID? I don't know. But it, it knocked me off my pins for like a good it was exactly what they said it was like 12 hours mm-hmm. and then i was fine on the other side of it but my god
0: yeah that's so what my friend had she was sick as a dog for about 12 hours she had a, a pretty high fever chills nauseous yep. exactly what you explained really knocked her out as we say knocked her dick in the dirt <laughs> at a girl that <laughs> she is such an awesome southern phrase dirt. Anyway, we should wrap it up because I've had you for two hours. That's a long time. Oh, my God. I know. It didn't even feel like it happened. It didn't. It was so awesome and fast. And thank you so much. So Thank you for having me. So where can people find your podcast?
1: Dear Pod Official on your Instagram or DeerPodOfficial.com, where we have every last episode. You can binge it. I recommend starting at the most recent and working your way back. It's like the difference between season one Simpsons and season six. Like <laughs> there's a lot of a lot has changed to, from start to finish. But yeah, I think start with your most recent work your way back, dearpodofficial.com. And you can find me on Instagram at Erin MaguireOfficial. That's M-A-G-U-I-R-E, like Jerry Maguire, Toby Maguire, Lizzie Maguire. It's very hard for people. <laughs> I don't know why this last name has tripped more people up. People will go to tag me in, in shows, like make flyers saying, oh, this person's going to be on the show and they see my name and they still spell it wrong. Oh, my gosh.
0: Yeah, you, I know. It's yeah. a curse. Oh, well, mag. Wire. M-A-G-U-I-R-E. Maguire. Yeah, Maguire. Yes. Well, thank yes. you so much. You know, we didn't even talk about Atlantic City. I met you in Atlantic City with Stephanie. I know. And we had such a good time. And we started talking Ugh. about podcasting. And we said, let's podcast. Let's do each other's podcast. So I'm going to do an episode of Dear Pod. So I'm excited for that. It's going to be really fun. We are so excited. We have we have picked some themes. Floral.
1: Awesome. For you, oh. you get a very special episode that we've been discussing to represent all of the things that you are. You're a wife, you're a mother, you're a writer, you're a Southern gal. So, all of the themes will be incorporated in your episode. Oh, my gosh. Pod. So, I'm people so have so to excited. hear
0: that. I was so excited. We're very
1: excited. Patrick's excited to meet you and chat with you. We're going to have a blast. And we're going to make you laugh. That's that's basically our
0: only goal in life. Well, that's easy enough. You made me laugh a ton in, in Atlantic City, so it'll oh, be really fun. You. I can't wait. Thank you, Aaron, for today. Thank you so much. It was really nice to see you again and to talk to you. Thank I you know. so much. Tell Stephanie hi in a
1: non-Atlantic City setting. I know it's a grand old time. I will definitely send your
0: love. To her. Yes, we I'm, I'm going to see if she wants to podcast when we're close to the machine coming out, because I think it would be an awesome podcast for me to talk to the woman who plays me in the movie. But absolutely, I, I think it'd be cool to see her ins and outs of that role and what she thought about it. And, you know, she she and I hit it off very quickly and very easily in Serbia. So It'll be fun to. Kinda... She thinks the world of
1: you. Oh, I mean, it's mutual. she was singing your praises before I ever even had the chance to meet you. And it was so cool to be able to hang with you in Bert in Atlantic City and also to just be able to hang backstage and to watch. It was was it Iowa's birthday. Yes, it was. Mm-hmm. It was so cool to see you with your daughters. Aww. And I mean, the love between all of y'all and your family is so palpable. But it was like, You know, we were there in between the shows. We had dinner with you guys. And then you guys got a cake for her and sang happy birthday. And you were just so in love with your girls Mm -hmm. that it was just so sweet to watch everybody interact and and, get to play with you guys.
0: Well, thank you. We do. We are in love with our girls. We are very lucky. We are very lucky. You know, intending to love and be loved is all it really takes, I think, sometimes. It's as simple as that. We intended to love our kids, and we intended to be loved by our kids. And if you just raise them for, with that intention, seems kind of easy, although it's not easy. Yeah. It's really hard to raise kids. But the intention is easy if you just always approach everything with that intention. They're wonderful, yeah. wonderful young ladies. I'm very proud of who they are. And they're so their own people. It's really... um I don't know. I love them. I love spending time with them. I think we have a really good um, relationship. Uh, and thank yeah. you for saying that. That you Yeah, know, you guys you just see. seem like such a cool family. I was uh, like, oh, I just
1: want to hang out with the Christchers all day, you guys. I'm going to go and pass out by their pool while they put their Klarndorf together.
0: <laughs> right? The Schluter. <laughs> the Schluder. Your Schluter, that's what it was.
1: <laughs> well, Look, I'll help with your Schluter as long as I get to hang by the pool. Right. I'm well, thank picky. you,
0: Erin. Thank you so much. Have a lovely day and uh, have a drink uh, for me and your Dickie bar. <laughs> I definitely will. We'll come up with a Chrysler cocktail for you. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll see you soon. <laughs> thank you, honey. Bye. Bye. We should together.